Hey, everybody, this is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to the 158th Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition Zoom call. We have uh, 23 people with us to start. We're going to cover a wide, wide range of topics. Welcome to my listeners at the Progressive Radio Network and um, uh, all over Radio Land. We're going to try and get on the Pacifica portal here. We are on WGRN and Columbus, Ohio and elsewhere. And we're starting to welcome in a new day, hopefully, at uh, Pacifica Radio, which will allow us to be uh, way more effective and uh, far-reaching, thanks in large part to the efforts of Myla Reeson, who's on with us as a co-host. And uh, Myla and I will be reinstating our California Solartopia show at uh, 5 p.m. Pacific time. That will be 8 p.m. Eastern time uh, on Wednesday, this coming Wednesday uh, on KPFK in Los Angeles. So we will be spreading the link to that. If people want to listen in, that would be absolutely great. I will uh, note for those of you who are uninitiated uh, to college football that I'm wearing my Michigan University of Michigan championship hat. Uh, the U of M uh, beat Ohio State for the third consecutive time. Uh, it's a cause of uh, for global celebration. And um, <clears throat> hopefully uh, we're going to see a Michigan-Georgia uh, national championship game, which will be a heck of a game. I'm going to repeat that because Ray McClendon has just uh, joined us uh, from uh, from Georgia itself. Ray, are you on with us, Ray McClendon? Uh, hopefully he'll be with us in a moment. So we have a huge agenda to cover. You know, we weren't on last week. Uh, we're going to start with Ray McClendon. Uh, there's a special session of the Georgia legislature coming up to deal with the um, uh, issue of uh, gerrymandering, redistricting, which is just really, really huge now. There's been a big, uh, a terrible decision on the Voting Rights Act, which we're going to discuss uh, in detail. Uh, we're uh, also going to talk about uh, a wide range of other issues on on election protection and grassroots organizing. Hey, Ray, <clears throat> how you doing? Uh, Ray and I are looking forward to uh, a Michigan Georgia National Championship. Uh, let's hope it happens. <laughs> the, I think this is the best Michigan football team ever, but that's another story. So um, uh, then uh, Rachel Coyle is going to join us from Ohio. Another absolutely infuriating uh, move by the Republicans in the state of Ohio. We are nonpartisan, but come on. Uh, uh, we, we just uh, have celebrated two major victories in uh, referenda in Ohio, where the Constitution is being amended to protect a woman's right to choose and to legalize pot. And um, massive, uh, uh, overwhelming uh, landslides uh, in favor of both issues. And now the, the legislature, which is heavily gerrymandered uh, against the wishes of the people of Ohio from two referenda there, are trying to overturn these referenda and just cut them to pieces as the Florida legislature did to the um, uh, successful amendment there that um, uh, allowed ex-felons to vote. This is, of course, a national trend. And Rachel Coyle will fill us in on the details there from Ohio. <clears throat> and we will talk about the Voting Rights Act. This is all in the first hour. We'll have Carolina uh, talk to us a bit about the uh, teachers union activity in Florida. And we'll be joined then by John Carney, a buddy of mine from Minneapolis, who has started a very interesting and important uh, recycling high-tech recycling business, which uh, is of massive long-term importance. We're also 
joined by um, uh, John LaForge of Nukewatch, uh, who's in New York for the National uh, Convention on uh, the Limitation of Nuclear Weapons, and is also extremely informed on a, on a very uh, disturbing radioactive leak at the Monticello nuclear plant in Minnesota, near the headwaters of the Mississippi River, um, uh, joined also by Hetty Tripp, who's uh, on at the scene of the crime there in St. Cloud, um, and uh, one of our great, great organizers. Hetty, it's great to have you with us. At the top of the hour, the second hour, we're going to start with an update on Diablo Canyon, the nuclear plant in California, which we're desperately trying to close uh, as per an agreement in 2016, which the governor, who more and more people are talking about Gavin Newsom now as a likely Democratic nominee I, I for president, I would say that the odds on Gavin Newsom becoming the presidential nominee for the Democratic Party are uh, about 50-50 at this point in time, uh, depending on uh, uh, Joe Biden and his ongoing uh, age issues. But um, um, uh, Gavin Newsom has just had a, a major interview with Sean Hannity, who and they claim to love each other. So, you know, uh, watch out for Gavin Newsom. I will remind everybody that in the 20th century, uh, in every presidential election, the, the taller candidate won. And Gavin Newsom, who I've met, looks to be about 6'3 or 6'4. So um, hold on to your hats for that one. Uh, and then we're going to have a, um, a session in whatever time is left uh, on the Middle East and on the Israel-Gaza uh, situation. And I want to focus on what I think is the real cause in the short term, but also uh, exceedingly important, is the role of Netanyahu in all this and uh, what we can do to tangibly you know, once we stop arguing about the origins of the state of Israel and uh, anti-Semitism and the Palestinians and all that other stuff, what we really need to figure out is how to prevent uh, the the bombing from starting again and how to uh, deal with uh, the leadership in Israel. In both cases, in, in terms of Hamas uh, the, and, and in terms of Israel, these are situations of democracy denied. There is no way that Netanyahu is the legitimate elected leader of Israel, and the same with um, uh, uh, Hamas and, and Palestine. So we will get that at, at, at the end, and we'll have an open discussion uh, on solutions for the Middle East. So having <laughs> having given you the 30-minute summary on a 40-minute meeting, um, uh, let's, go to, let's go to Ray McClendon, our, one of the truly great organizers um, in our country today, and um, it's always an honor. And Ray, you've told me that um, there's a very important, and this is, of course, nationally significant, um, uh, legislative session coming up in Georgia where they're going to deal with redistricting. So if you, and this, of course, covers all the states. Tell us what's going on in Georgia now. Please, Ray. Okay, yeah. So the uh, specifics, uh, the state legislature uh, has been called into a special session by the governor uh, based upon the uh, requirement that the uh, redistricting maps uh, don't conform with the, the latest ruling from uh, the, the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. As you know, it, it specifically dealt with Alabama, but it also had repercussions for Louisiana, North Carolina, and Georgia. So uh, Georgia's uh, 
special session starts on Wednesday, November 29th. Uh, it has to be concluded uh, before December 15th, and a new set of maps need to be drawn. And, and again, this, this uh, gives us an opportunity to create uh, not only uh, specific, hopefully a new uh, Black-dominated district, but also it will re re redraw maps for all of the state legislative seats as well. So there'll be a lot of um, opportunity here for us to dive into redistricting maps that could change not only the landscape in, in the Congress, but also in the state uh, house as well as the state Senate. So there'll be a lot of eyes on this. We know that there, there are Republican majorities in both the House uh, and the, the, uh, the state Senate, <clears throat> uh, but we're going to uh, keep the sunshine on the process. Uh, uh, all of the grassroots organizations that we're involved with here in the state of Georgia are going to be lobbying uh, ferociously on this so that we can get the best possible outcome. So uh, the, the big takeaway is that we have a tremendous opportunity here in Georgia, as there will be in Alabama and Louisiana. Uh, these fights are going to be critical uh, if we are going to get progressives to get back in control of the Congress in, in 2024. And they will also be critical for other um, uh, statewide races, as well as state control of, of the legislative process. We have an opportunity to pick up some seats if the maps are drawn in, in a way that's, that's fair. Now, we know with, with Republican control, uh, it's unlikely that we'll win many battles, but we're going to pick our fights and try to carve out some wins that will make a difference for us uh, next year. Wow. Uh, th that couldn't be any bigger. I will remind everyone, and Ray, you're, you're well aware, that the voters in Ohio passed two, count them, two statewide referenda to deal with gerrymandering, making it fair. The Ohio Supreme Court, with a Republican majority, intervened on the side of fair districts with the Republican uh, Chief Justice going with the basically with the Democrats, and they still uh, have have resisted in Ohio uh, getting fair districts. It's mind boggling. How how are you going to deal with that in Georgia? Well, well, well again, the the people need to continue to rise up and and understand that we are moving more and more toward authoritarianism. Uh, and autocracy if we allow uh, what we see happening in states like Ohio to allow it to happen in Georgia. There's so much misinformation and disinformation. A lot of people really don't think this makes a difference. Uh, but the will of the people is being thwarted. You know, I saw in Ohio as an example uh, where <clears throat> even after the most recent uh, ruling that amended the Ohio Constitution, the Republicans there still decided that they weren't going to abide by that ruling. And we see that happening more and more. The same thing happened in Alabama uh, in this uh, voting rights uh, ruling, where 
they refused to comply with the Supreme Court ruling and the judge had to put in place a special master. So we, we don't know what will happen here uh, in Georgia. It could be uh, along the same lines, but what we're witnessing in real time across America is that, th that the Republican Party is no longer a party that believes in the democratic process. They don't believe that democracy is worth uh, abiding by. And those who believe in democracy have to understand and see this occurring in real time and be prepared to, to fight for it uh, in all of these different venues. So Georgia will be one of the latest venues this uh, right now. Alabama is going on. Louisiana will be going on. And we'll probably have something similar in North Carolina. So we need to galvanize people now, between now and uh, primary season, to, to ensure that they understand that, that our freedom, our very democracy is truly on the ballot with the way that the Republican Party is trying to consolidate party and create authoritarian governments across the country. It, it, it's absolutely mind-boggling. Uh, to, to go back to Ohio again, we just won um, two referenda. Uh, one is a Constitution Amendment, and one is, uh, Steve can clarify this, uh, uh, from Ohio, and the other is, um, um, I guess, a law uh, on, on guaranteeing choice and on, on pot, on legal pot. And uh, in both cases, the Republicans are refusing to uh, allow the voice of the people to uh, take effect. So I, I, uh, the dynamic of your battle now in Georgia must be really, really devastating. I, I hope you'll continue to come on. What would you like people to do um, uh, to help um, uh, persuade the legislature in Georgia to uh, embrace democracy? Well, those who live, anyone who lives in Georgia definitely needs to reach out to their um, representatives over the course of the next week. Uh, and those that don't uh, certainly continue to support us and other organizations that are going to be uh, rallying our, well, we'll all be rallying our supporters uh, to reach out. Some of us will be going to the Capitol as well during the session uh, to, to uh, make sure that uh, they cannot do this in the dark and that it will be publicized uh, and it will see, see the light of day. And, and again, a part of this process is to let people know what's going on and, and understand how important next year is going to be. A problem that we have right now is that there are, there are not many people like us on this call that are constantly up to speed on a daily basis on what's going on. A lot of people today get their their news off of you know social media and uh, Facebook and TikTok, et cetera. And they are not and they are not well versed on uh, the true dynamics that are going on in the country. And so it's imperative that we take these opportunities to highlight uh, that we're on the verge of losing our democracy if we don't fight against these authoritarian tendencies that are going on, not only with Trump, but also uh, a, a rogue 
MAGA Republican Party that that no longer values the rule of law or the tenets of the Constitution and democracy. Rachel Coyles here. What we have um, fifty four people on with us. What is the makeup of the legislature, and what's your level of optimism about getting any kind of decent uh, outcome? Well, the, the the good thing in Georgia is they don't have a supermajority in both houses, and of course, uh, the governor uh, is is looking to run um, in some other race. We don't know which one yet going forward. Uh, so he is a a uh, moderating force. So we we don't have the the um, the same kind of uh, legislative imbalance that you have, say, in North Carolina or in in Louisiana. Uh, so we can put pressure on the governor. We can also put pressure on some of the metro area Re- Republican Party members as well. Uh, to to help to to balance this out. Now, will it still be gerrymandered? No question about it. We need an independent uh, redistricting commission here, as we do in 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 most states, and we'd love to see that. But for now, what we're trying to do is make the best of a bad situation. Mind-boggling. It's really really critical. Um, uh, uh, did someone uh, jump in and want to? Say something. We're gonna, we do have Rachel Coyle with us, and uh, Steve also from Caruso from Ohio. Um, Rachel, uh, you've got you got the great Ray McClendon here with us. Can you explain to us what the Republicans? And again, we're nonpartisan, but you know this is who it's going. What are the Republicans now trying to do to the two referenda that were just passed on guaranteeing choice and legalizing pot? So thankfully, because with abortion, we passed it into the Constitution rather than into state law, um, a lot of the things they're saying they're going to try to do, we're hopeful will not happen. Uh, So for one thing, we had we had legislators sending out press releases saying that they were going to take away power from the Ohio Supreme Court uh, to have jurisdiction over abortion cases. They were saying some absolutely crazy things. They were saying that the abortion amendment doesn't mention specific laws so that it wouldn't repeal any of the bans they had in place. Uh, But we're hopeful that those will not come to pass. The thing that is very concerning right now with those two uh, issues is that with marijuana, they passed legal marijuana as a law instead of as an amendment. Um, And the Republicans are threatening and we expect them to do some things to it. One of the things I'm most concerned about is they're threatening to take where the money goes, uh, the revenue from that, and give it instead of giving it to, you know, communities of color to make sure that the business owners are diverse um, throughout the communities in Ohio, uh, they're going to give it to police and police training and build more jails. And uh, those are the the things we're hearing about right now. So our, we're b- very concerned about what they're going to do to marijuana. Okay, um, let's let's backpedal a little bit. Because Ray's uh, the the focus of Ray's fight in Georgia is on gerrymandering, Ohio passed two referenda on gerrymandering. The Supreme Court, the Ohio Supreme Court, weighed in on drawing new maps. Where do we stand with new maps in Ohio now? 
We are currently operating under illegal maps, um, which is unbelievable. But so what we're doing, and I'm very excited about this initiative, is we're now in the process of gathering signatures. We're needing, you know, over 400,000 signatures to get on the ballot for next November, November 2024, uh, to put something in the Constitution that would ban all politicians from Ohio's redistricting process, current and former politicians, and create that citizen-led commission that you were talking about that they have up in Michigan uh, that we've seen work around the country. So that is what our goal is, is now to take all current and former politicians out of the process entirely so that they can't just violate the laws that we passed the two, the last two times you mentioned. Let me, let me say something um, that we need to understand that I think a part of which we're missing, we haven't spent a lot of time on this, uh, is that Republicans, the MAGA Republicans do not believe in government. They are opposed to government. They believe in chaos. So they are, they can say the things that it, they talked about that we believe are insane, will not pass. Um, and all they're trying to do is just gum up the works enough to deny, deny retard, delay and create chaos until they can then come up with another strategy. Okay, a, a case in point, but you know, we were under, Rachel just mentioned, mentioned being under uh, illegal maps. Why are we under illegal maps? We're under illegal maps because they refused to do the right thing. And then they got a ruling that said, well, at least that's the way it happened in Georgia and some other states. I don't know about Ohio specifically. Rachel can correct me. Um, but they gummed up the works long enough to where they said, look, we're throwing up our hands. We've got to have primaries. So let's just go with what we have until we can and we can fix it down the road, which got yep. us this dysfunctional Congress that we have because we were operating in several states under illegal maps because they said we don't have time to fix them before we have to print the ballots. So all exactly these delays. So so these delays are going on around the country. Mm -hmm. They know exactly what they knew exactly what they were doing in Alabama when they refused on remand of 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 of, of the Supreme Court's decision, and they still came back. With with an with, without giving a second black district, uh, and now the special master has it, and and the same thing is going on in Louisiana. And what they're trying to do is run out the clock, so that we end up in 2024, and they can say, "Well, we tried. You all tried the leak. The legal process mucked it all up. We got to print a ballot, and so let's just go with these same gerrymandered maps in order to maintain the dysfunction that we have in the Congress today. It is fascinating to hear you talk about that because that's literally exactly what happened in Ohio. Those same words were used. We're out of time. We have to have a primary. Let's just use the maps we already have, even though we know that the court ruled against them. It's like you could be talking about Ohio or any state. Well, this is now a, a cookie cutter strategy, obviously. Exactly. It's a national strategy, Harvey. And, and we've got to be, again, we, we've got to be wise to this. And that's why we've got to challenge it every time. And we got to get the information out to people to let them know that 
that this is disingenuous. They're lying to you and they're using this in order to maintain the status quo and deny the power of your vote. Well, uh, Rachel, you, you said there's a, a, a petition going for another ballot, um, um, a measure in the 24. Is this, what does it say that's different from the other two that we already passed in Ohio? Yeah, so it's if anyone wants to help, you can help um, anywhere around the country. It's citizensnotpoliticians.org. I love that name. Uh, it would literally ban anyone who is a current or former elected office holder from participating in the redistricting process. And it would set up a 15-person citizen commission, uh, five Democrats, five Republicans, and five independents. And there's a whole ridiculous process for making sure that the people on the on the commission are actually qualified. Um, former Supreme Court justices and judges would be selecting from a pile of resumes that people would submit essentially to make sure that no politician could draw a map for their friends or buddies or themselves. Uh, so it really is, we're not just banning gerrymandering, we're setting up an entire system and banning entire groups of people from using it. Well, you know, the uh, what we call the Schwarzenegger solution uh, came in, in in California in 2008 and 2010. My understanding is that Schwarzenegger uh, put in $3 million of his own money, and these two referenda passed, one for the uh, legislature and then one for the congressional districts, and they set up a nonpartisan uh, or a multipartisan commission in California which people seem to like. And then the, le the legend is, this is why I love history, the law of unintended consequences. Arnold Schwarzenegger, as everybody knows, um, had an affair with his housekeeper, and they had a son. And his son, that son, whose name is Joseph, went to the University of Michigan and got Arnold to come in there and help with the redistricting in Michigan. If, he, if the kid had gone to Ohio State, we'd probably be in better shape. But nonetheless, <laughs> maybe we'll go there for grad school. But, you know, uh, so, Ray, I'm sure you're aware of the California model, which uh, people seem to like as a multipartisan. Uh, my understanding is that some of the commissioners on the California Commission are actually chosen at random. That pe that you anybody can apply and they put your name in a hat and, and people are on the commission without having been reviewed at all. Is that true? Do you know if that's true? I do yeah. not know. Okay. Well, listen, um, uh, Ray, what is the put the uh, contacts to your organization, please, in the chat. And if you'll come back next week, both of you, because then uh, we'll we'll have uh, the session will have started in Georgia, and you can give us the gruesome details. And um, we will try and get everybody needs to support this in Georgia and follow what's going on in Ohio. Um, and uh, this is nationwide. I know in Wisconsin, the um, the gerrymandering situation is completely out of hand, and uh, people are trying to deal with it there. And as I say, there there was success in, in Michigan. I believe we actually have a reasonably sane uh, Jerry um, a districting uh, process in Michigan. Is that true, Rachel? Yes, and we have based uh, this new process that we're hoping to put in place on the success of Michigan. Okay. Uh, so you should be in touch with Ray on this. Uh, and we need to have a serious national coalition, um, which Ray uh, clearly is 
and, and you and you, Rachel, are clearly in the vanguard here, which is why they ha- why we have these calls um, uh, to to make a, a nation nationwide impact on this. Yeah, I hope you all understand. There is a a, lot, a big part of the gerrymandering, current gerrymandering problem. It's always been, a, you know, the term gerrymandering dates back to the um, uh, 1812. Um, uh, Elbridge Gerry was the governor of, Ma- of Massachusetts, and he rigged the um, uh, uh, districts, and uh, uh, and they, they looked they were so convoluted. Somebody said they were like salamanders. And that's where the term gerrymander came from, Elbridge Jerry and Salamander. So this dates back, you know, 200 years. Uh, uh, but uh, at any rate, um, we need to deal with this. And um, you guys are in the vanguard here. So let's keep uh, put your, uh, you know, get together and put your contacts in the chat and let's move ahead. Thank you very much, both of you, Rachel and Ray. Really terrific. And I uh, couldn't do couldn't do any of this without you. So keep up, please. Okay, thank you, thank you both. Okay, no nukes on that too. Um, we're going to go uh, very quickly. We want to get an update on the teachers' union fight. Um, uh, Carolina, if you could give us five minutes, and then I want to uh, go to um, uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin. We have a week at a nuclear plant in Minnesota, and we're also joined by a really great activist, John Carney, uh, who I've, I've known since the previous century. Uh, who's doing some really great high-tech recycling that we need to deal with. And um, uh, also, by the way, um, uh, we, we, we next week we'll go into detail on the Voting Rights Act. There's been a, a, some really terrible decisions now on the Voting Rights Act uh, nationwide. And we will go uh, with, when Ray comes back next week, and we'll also be joined by um, uh, Andrea Miller, we'll go deeper into what's going on with the Voting Rights Act as well. Uh, but go ahead, Carolina, real quick on the teacher's uh, uh, situation in Florida. And then we're gonna go to John LaForge and uh, John Carney to talk about recycling and the leak uh, at uh, um, uh, Monticello in Minnesota. We also, by the way, have uh, Vina Colley on who can t- give us an update on uh, the situation in, in uh, Portsmouth, Ohio. So go I ahead, think- please, uh, Carolina, uh, give us a quick rundown. Uh, Ray, you're still with us. Uh, Ray, I did want to mention that we didn't discuss the Voting Rights Act this week, but I want to go into detail on it next week as well, because that's a big deal. Okay. Okay. Hi, everyone. And hi, Harvey. Uh, Very happy to talk about the the teacher's situation in Florida, but it's not unique to Florida. It's actually happening in in many other states throughout the country that Republicans passed bills that attack public sector unions and teachers unions particularly. Here in Florida, it's a a very particular situation because the second largest union of Florida is the United Teachers of Aid. And the United Teachers of Aid has been targeted and admittedly targeted by the Freedom Foundation. And they created another group that it's called the Miami Education Coalition. They're trying to convince teachers that this is another union that wants to challenge the UTD. But the reality we know is that the Freedom Foundation, which is funded by people like the Koch brothers or Betty DeVos, are people that don't want to to form another union. They actually want to get rid of public sector unions because they want to get rid of public education per se, because they own 
already some charter schools and they want to make education private. Uh, you know, and that that would be a serious thing for for communities. And there's going to be some people that that would get in loops like you get some voucher for for education, like it's happening here in, in Florida. You could request a voucher, but the voucher is just nine thousand dollars, and and then you're left with the, you know schools that that are charters that could charge 30,000 and more per school year. And so the, the 9,000 are just a drop in the bucket and some people are not going to be able to afford to get an education that would be an absolute catastrophe for, for our communities and for the chances for people to have an opportunity of thriving. So we want to protect our teachers union, not only because it protects workers, but also because it protects our community and it gives us a chance of, of progress. And as you know, education is a large equalizer and and we understand that and, and we take this very seriously because it is it, it would be a, a tremendous loss for an entire county to lose the, the capacity of having an, a good education, a, a quality education that gives you a chance for, for having a fighting chance in life. So it's really important that we all stand where, wherever you are, that you figure out what's, what's the situation with your teachers union locally in your state. Here in Florida, there, the bill was SB 256 that was passed into law in the last legislative session. And it's now going into effect and it forces unions to not only increase the, the, the number of their minimum membership to 60%, which is very hard to do in, in areas like Miami where there's an intrinsic problem because we have a large pool of, of teachers and, and people in the community that are from Cuban descent and from Venezuelan descent that, that have been, uh, that have had an exposure to unions that it's not the real exposure to the labor movement where there was maybe some leakage of information to the government and stuff like that. And they're, they're frightened uh, of of government involvement in their in their deals, we are educating our members and letting them know that they are public sector workers. So there has to be uh, a, some form of political involvement of of the union because we're negotiating with elected officials for their salaries and for their their labor rights and the quality of of education all together as well. And so we we are pushing hard in that education rally. We we have been trying to get to that 60%. And I, I believe that we have, but right now we are in an auditing of those numbers and all the cards and, and that process takes a while. Okay. So we don't know exactly what's going to be accepted and what's not and, and what, what their real numbers going to look after. The auditing, we're hoping that that we have that 60%. But in the meantime, the American Federation of Teachers it has been 
uh, joining the effort with us and with other unions around the, the country so that we have a plan B as well in process. And, and we're now also collecting intent cards, which means that you're signing to to make sure that the union's contract, which has been negotiated, the, the union's turning 50 uh, years old over here. So it's a contract that has been in work for the past 50 years is the strongest teacher's contract that we have in in the South. And we want to be able to preserve that. And and it's it's very encouraging to see that that wherever we are going, we have- Wait, 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 wait. wait. Oh, okay. All right, go ahead. Sorry. We have at least 90% of the teachers that are signing those intention cards, which means that we have members and non-members that are interested in keeping uh, the union uh, fighting for them and fighting for their contract okay. and their labor rights. Okay, so, very great, great, fine. Carolina, wonderful. Um, 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 so, do you will you put uh, contacts in the chat and keep us posted uh, as as this proceeds, as this fight proceeds? The the fight for teachers unions is, is just you know at the core of our democracy, and as uh, Ray pointed out, uh, there's the MAGA forces in this country don't want democracy I certainly don't want public schools so exactly. they don't want people that can think for themselves and that that because those people are are less likely to to put up with the abuses from an authoritarian government absolutely very well stated so uh keep with us please and um uh keep us posted on this important fight um uh, we really appreciate it, carolina put your um, uh, uh, contacts in the chat, and um, and thank you, Wendy, for for bringing Carolina to us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay, keep in touch and keep fighting. Okay, I want to. We're going to jump into the environment a little bit now. Um, uh, my old buddy, uh, 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 John Carney, um, is what? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't have my video on. There we go. My old buddy uh, John Carney is with us uh, from Minneapolis. And he's going to be followed by John LaForge, currently in D in New York, but to talk about the, the nuclear situation at Monticello and also the um, conference uh, against nuclear weapons. But uh, John Carney, uh, you've got a very long history as as an organizer uh, in, in many many different uh, situations. I will say one thing: in 1994. We were fighting. I went up there with Greenpeace to Minneapolis, and there was a f statewide fight to shut the two reactors, Prairie Island, uh, at Prairie Island in the middle of the Mississippi River. And push came to shove. The the uh, uh, lever, the shoehorn issue was uh, nuclear waste, and we thought we were very close to getting those two reactors shut, which should have happened. But instead, we wound up with a four hundred million dollar mandate. Uh, on the utility company up there that really was the birth in many ways of the big uh, wind industry in the United States. I mean, it's a hugely important victory, even though it was only a partial victory and we didn't shut the reactors. Um, and now, the, um, but nonetheless, Minnesota became a, a hub of big time wind, in, wind energy. And it was proof, again, that citizen action really makes a difference. The American wind industry would be nowhere near what it is today had it not been for the victory that we do, we the enforcement of that four hundred million dollar mandate. So John Carney was a part of that, big part of it. 
and now he's still in Minnesota. And um, John, you have a really important and interesting recycling business up there that I want, if you explain what it is, because it looked to me like a real um, uh, bellwether uh, for future uh, ongoing recycling of high-tech stuff. Can you tell us about your business real quick, please? Yeah, uh, we're relatively new, even though we're a lot of veterans involved. And we're calling our organization Recycling, Recycling Electronics for Climate Action. And a lot of that is our concern that uh, to make this clean, ener clean energy transition, we don't have the metals that we need to like, for example, in Minnesota, we already have five and a half million wind turbines installed. And by 2030, we're gonna have 11 and a half wind turbines installed. And we're worried about where the metal and materials are gonna come for that. Uh, because we know that mining around the world is really problematic. There's an effort in Minnesota to build two copper nickel mines and we know right by the boundary waters is you know the beautiful wilderness area and we know that copper nickel mines destroy the groundwater in every place they are in the world so you know is our choice to have clean energy and dirty environment no we don't want that so we're focusing on recycling and we have determined that in minnesota alone uh, we produce $3.2 billion worth of recyclable metals, et cetera, that are needed for these uh, energy for the energy transition. And so we've, we've started a campaign to collect those metals and get them back into service so that we can use them for all these products that we need. And our strategy is, so we're, we've built a really good coalition already. And our strategy is to get legislation passed in 2024 in the state legislature for a 100% e-waste collection and recycling bill. We have a lot of support for it. Uh, we have some great pol uh, political people behind it. Our lead author is a woman named Athena Hollins, who is a star really in the legislature already. And, uh, and, and we're getting some Republican support for it. Uh, we are, it's tricky because even though all of us who started it are against those mines, the reality is we're going to get some support for the mining industry because, you know, there's a tremendous value there in recycling these metals. And if and if we've got 3.2 billion on an annual basis in Minnesota, you which is you know, uh, five and a half million people, you can imagine what the potential is on a national international level for a re rescuing these metals from the landfills and the burners. And the other thing is, is there are a tremendous environmental problem. We have a big garbage burner here in Minneapolis and they're throwing these toxic things in there and it's ending up in the neighborhoods. So uh, the environmental part of it is really important as well as the uh, renewable energy part of it. Uh, no. I, think, I think I'll stop there. Well, now, do you have a business going? Is this an actual business? Yes. Well, we're we're forming as an association or a coalition, but the business name is Recycling Electronics for uh, Climate Action, RECA. Are you profitable? Well, we we just recently incorporated, but we feel quite confident that we'll be profitable. I mean, I came to this through 
I was in the solar industry in Minnesota from the beginning, uh, though the, as you said, the legislation in 1994, it was great for the wind industry, but we basically had no solar in 2009. So we organized a really vibrant association and we're now number 15 or 16 in the country as far as solar installations. And we're gonna double by 2030. So we're looking at that model, that association development model. We have a lot of organizations and companies and so on who are already lined up to support us. So we don't have a track record yet, but um, it looks, I think it looks very promising. Wow, even though the sun never shines in Minnesota, you're uh, you're able to do solar panels there. Um, um, you know that there are uh, 1.8 million rooftop solar uh, uh, installations in California. Is your um, focus in, on solar in Minnesota is that on rooftop or are you doing um, uh, rural based uh, uh, farms? Well, we have one of the two top community solar garden programs in the country. I think New York might have just passed us up by a little bit. So. A lot of our uh, megawatts install our community solar gardens, which have a, you know, a diversity element to it, which is really important. But we also have a quite a large, healthy uh, utility-scale market going, and we also uh, residential market is going quite well. Also, we're at a, we're at about two thousand megawatts installed, and we'll be well over three thousand megawatts by twenty thirty. So that's way more than the nuclear plants. I mean, uh, California gets way more uh, solar electricity than it does from the two reactors at Diablo Canyon. Is yeah. that the situation with Prairie Island and in, in, uh, in Monticello? In We're getting about 1,700 megawatts out of Prairie Island. And and uh, so there are two G Mark I reactors at Monticello. You know, that's those are the ones that blew up at uh, Fukushima. And we've got a, a reactor at Prairie Island right in the middle of the Indian Reservation or the band. You know, yeah. so all three of them on the Mississippi, of course. So let's segue now. Um, uh, John, that's great. If you'll put the name and any and all contacts uh, to your business uh, in the chat, that would be really great. Because this obviously has to uh, uh, go nationwide. I mean, the, the you know, one of the things that uh, when when you when you read anti-solar screeds and anti-wind, they all say, "Well, we're going to wind up with all this trash." And um, uh, clearly, do you uh, do you have a plan for recycling uh, turbine blades, the big blades? Uh, we don't. Although I heard recently, there's been a, quite a bit of progress on figuring that out. But we do have a we do have a plan for recycling solar panels. And uh, the first thing that we're going to do is uh, get a ban on landfilling solar panels. And that is going to provide the incentive that we need to get the recyclers geared up to handle uh, the panels that are going to be more and more need to be recycled. And I know this is kind of a national crisis, but we need to take that argument away about uh, that their anti-solar people are using the argument that, you know, the panels just get thrown in the landfills. Well, there aren't going to be any panels thrown in landfills in Minnesota after about two, three, two or three more years. Wow, man. Good for you. That's really, really critical. Um, and uh, so stay with us. I know we've got some people with hands. 
But I want to segue and, and, and join in the issue at Monticello now. So into this, and then we'll take then we'll take uh, people questioning. I want to make sure we get John LaForge in. We have sixty two people with us, and um, uh, John Kearney, it's great to see you, man. It's been like thirty years. Um, uh, Good to see you too. <laughs> both of you, John, <laughs> John LaForge and John Carney. Do you guys know each other, John? John and John, no. Okay, uh, so I've I've been hearing about John LaForge for a long time. Like back in the No Nukes, he was really important. Well, I'm sorry to know, say we we haven't met. Yeah, I don't think well, here, we ever met. Here you are, and and we are still in the days of No Nukes, as it turns out. But uh, John LaForge and Hetty Tripp is also with us from St. Cloud. I think she may have left. Um, uh, as I say, we oh, now we have sixty three people with us. Uh, John LaForge, you run or are part of a truly great. Well, hi, Hetty. Uh, you have a truly great publication called Nuke Watch, which has been with us for decades, and it's a tremendously important uh, source of information uh, and sources on nuclear issues. It's one of the very best uh, publications, and I want to compliment you on the decades of work keeping uh, Nuke Watch going. It's really fabulous. So you're based in Wisconsin, um, but we do have this old uh, reactor at Monticello. And by the way, there's two, the two reactors are at Prairie Island and one at Monticello. One uh, Monticello, I believe, is one of the five oldest reactors in the country. I mean, it's really old. Um, and there, there is a leak, and it's it's just shy of the headwaters of the Mississippi, which means, God forbid, anything radiation coming out of the Monticello is going to go all the way down the Mississippi. Same with the two reactors, which are, by the way, in the middle of the Mississippi River and have been flooded. But nonetheless, what's the current situation with the radiation at Monticello? Well, thanks, Harvey, for inviting me on. Yeah, it's a, a, a you're right. It's a 52-year-old reactor. It's a jalopy that's been rebuilt, uh, refastened several times under orders from the NRC. Uh, it's had many, many disasters or accidents over the years, just sort of disastrous. And uh, at the moment, they're trying to prevent uh, the tritium that's leaking from corroded underground piping there from reaching the Mississippi River. Uh, it may have already reached the Mississippi River. Uh, we're not really sure. Uh, they can't really uh, de uh, deny that it has because their monitoring is so inadequate. They did admit, after claiming the company is uh, XL, formerly Northern States Power, they have admitted that uh, they needed to build a 40-foot deep steel wall into the ground, slam it into the ground the way uh, construction workers build foundations with these steel plates, you know, to uh, evidently divert the groundwater before it gets to the Mississippi. This was said to be 40 feet deep. Of course, everyone on the call knows that groundwater never goes deeper than 40 feet. So I'm sure that's gonna work about as well as the frozen ice wall has worked in Fukushima where Japanese engineers tried the very same uh, sort of diversion tactic to keep groundwater in that case from rushing into the uh, broken foundations and contam being contaminated by the melted fuel inside. Unfortunately, here at Monticello, we have a Fukushima clone, a GE Mark I reactor, just like the 23 others that are operating in the United States today, clones of the GE uh, blown up and melted reactors in Fukushima, Japan. 
This one started operating in 1971. So it's, I believe, the second oldest operating reactor in the United States today. Yeah, the, uh, the first one is uh, on uh, up, upstate New York on the lake there. Uh, that's the oldest, and you're number two. We're number two. The uh, Mississippi River office is speckled with nuclear reactors all up and down. This happens to be the first one at the top of the uh, fuel chain there. 400,000 gallons of tritiated water were admitted to have been leaked uh, after the company kept it secret for three months, four months. They alerted the NRC. They didn't issue a press release to the public. And the NRC itself kept the leak secret for four months. Uh, it became public, uh, I believe, in March last year. Or no, the, the leak started in November last year. It became public in March of this year. Uh, the original water was reportedly, according to Excel itself, to have been contaminated with 5 million curies per liter of tritium, which, uh, after consulting experts on the subject, amounts to primary coolant, uh, highly radioactive water. Now, one comment uh, that was posted uh, following my piece on this subject that was at Counterpunch November 22nd uh, claimed that uh, this amounted to eight curies of tritium having been released. Uh, uh, I'm not sure about the uh, scientific accuracy of that estimation, but it could be true. Um, the company said initially they stopped the leak, replaced the pipe. Uh, a month later, they found that, oh, it was still leaking. This container they had diverted this leak into was overflowing. Oh, it happened to be big enough, so they had to stop the leak again. And in fact, they shut the reactor down temporarily which has yet to be uh, fully explained why uh, the reason for a shutdown when a, a leaking pipe outside the unit had to be replaced. Uh, there have been several NRC reports uh, issued most recently, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, about the event. It's very interesting reading to see um, that this problem is chronic nationwide, uh, as even reported by the Associated Press in 2012, which did a long series on aging nuclear reactors, found that 48 reactors in the United States have leaking underground pipes after being bombarded with neutron radiation for 40, 50 years, like Monticello has. These pipes corrode and leak. And so we know that at Vermont Yankee, uh, the same problem ultimately led to its shutdown because the company lied about the leaking underground pipes. There are miles and miles of these corroded pipes that go uninspected for decades uh, under operating nuclear reactors. This is just one of them. Okay. Uh, well, so is there a movement in Minnesota to shut this thing? I mean, who needs it? Great question. There, um, If there's a movement, we are um, we're just getting underway because the company has recently uh, applied to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission for a second license to operate extension. They won the first one in 2006, adding 20 years to their original 40-year license. Now they want to run this plant, not for 60 years, but for 80. And uh, so now the campaign that we're trying to establish and uh, build a coalition around is to prevent this application from being approved.
Unbelievable. Uh, you know, we got the same problem in California, but uh, yeah. you you got to hook up with John Carney there in Minnesota. He was in part of the original uh, No Nukes campaign in 94 in Minneapolis, where we almost shut Perry Island, but at least we birth, helped birth uh, uh, a large-scale wind industry. Uh, Hetty, um, um, do you have anything to add to this before we uh, open it up? I know. Are they talking about building the small, so-called small nuclear reactors? So have you heard anything about that? Yes, John? actually, we had a session on that two weeks ago. And the, the, the bad oh, news for the small modular right. reactors continues to pile up. Uh, the company that's been building the small mm -hmm. or wants to build the small reactors is being heavily sued by its shareholders and everybody else in the world. And we, we think that the uh, small reactors are going to transform, as Amory Levin's explained to us, into small modular renewables. <laughs> so mm -hmm. let, let's make that happen. John, you can use that in, uh, in Nuquatch there. We're going to use uh, that. <laughs> and you need to feature John Carney's uh, stuff on, uh, uh, on the recycling. It's a very big piece of the puzzle here, is the recycling all this stuff. Uh, clearly a tremendous value. So, okay, let's move ahead. Now we're two fifty six. We're gonna uh, soon get into Diablo Canyon. We've got some great hand hands for these great presenters. We got sixty three people on the call: Justin LeBlanc, then Eric, Wendy, and Myla, and Mary. Go ahead, Justin. Sure. Uh, thanks, you guys, for coming on to give us such great information about all the steps that you're taking, so that we can take concrete action. Uh, I wanted to add to a couple of those. One, uh, John, have you met a guy named Dan Jewell of Jewell Wind? He's one of the pioneers in wind energy in Minnesota and happens to be my dad's high school. Uh, <laughs> they do summer concerts on the summer solstice every year. <clears throat> but yes. uh, we, we know Dan Jewell very well. Yeah. Dan yeah. Jewell is uh, still in mourning for the passing of Tom Petty. But um, uh, <laughs> Dan Jewell pioneered the uh, concept of community-owned wind power, where he would go in and, and uh, organize local farmers to own their own uh, wind turbines. He's a great revolutionary. And he was a, a primary beneficiary of the victory he won in 94, getting that $400 million, uh, 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 available. And uh, he's also worked with auto manufacturers as well. And that was my next question, because a lot of those are starting to build solar panels for the cars as a way of giving people free fuel. And uh, so my thought was, if you reach out to them, you could possibly get them to put the screws to the uh, fixed panel <laughs> manufacturers uh, for the recycling, because that will give them a free research process for how to do it for their, you know, how to work with their materials in the future as well. Um, just a, you know, like a leapfrog piggybacking stepping stone kind of thing. Well, there you go. Thank you, Justin. Justin's always a font of wisdom. John and John, do you want to comment on any of that? All right. Uh, I can comment on the, uh, so I worked for the Solar Association for many years, and I'll have to be careful about talking to the solar manufacturers about the idea of having the car manufacturers produce solar panels, but it's an association, you know, we work with 
we worked with Excel quite a bit. And our line with Excel is we'll cooperate as much as we can. And when we disagree, we'll fight like hell. There you go. Yeah, Minnesota has always been a really interesting place to do politics, man. Um, uh, Eric Lazarus and then Wendy. Um, Eric, quick, very fast point. Um, I met two material scientists who claim to be the only people in the world who really have mastered recycling um, 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 wind turbine blades. So anyone who wants to meet these people, I'm Eric at ATD, as in actionthisday.eco, eco. I'll put it in the chat, but anyone who wants to meet, I don't know that they're the only people in the world who've mastered this, but that's what they claimed. I'm Eric, Eric at ATD.eco. Thanks. I saw an article somewhere where they're cutting up these old wind turbines, which are, of course, fiberglass, and uh, making park benches and stuff like that. But there's so many so many wind, wind blades out there. I'm going to have a lot of park benches <laughs> to, to make, I guess. Uh, John, have you any luck with uh, recycling uh, uh, wind turbine blades? Which John? John LaForge? Carney. Carney. Oh, uh, we haven't looked, taken a really good look at it. Okay. All right. We, uh, we have to because uh, I've heard that it's quite an amazing challenge. Yeah. They're so big. Yeah. Uh, uh -huh. But, you know, all the fiberglass you could ever want. <laughs> uh, uh, Wendy Lederman and then Myla and then Mary. Go ahead, Wendy. And uh, we're joined by Linda Seeley uh, is with us as well. And we're going to go, uh, when we're done with this, we're going to go into Diablo Canyon. We want to say hi to Camilla Reese and hope she's doing better. It's good to see you, Camilla. John Steiner, good to see you with us. Uh, Dave Saltman, we're going to talk about the Middle East in a few minutes. Uh, go ahead, um, uh, Wendy, go ahead. Thank you. Um, yeah, another like hugely important point that... Um, is just amazing about uh, your work, uh, John Kearney. I mean, both Johns, your, your work is amazing. We really appreciate having you. Um, the human rights catastrophe of mining for lithium and cobalt. And I mean, it's like, it's the thing that nobody wants to talk about, but what you're doing would revolutionize that. And I really hope that you're in contact with some of the human rights groups and the people that are trying to get attention on what's going on in Africa and the child labor being used because you are the tangible solution for that. So I hope you're working with them. And my dear friend, Maya Van Rossum, who's with us, put in the chat before. Um, she's wondering if you guys are accepting um, investors. And I just wanted to mention, I can't help but plug my dear friend who's become a regular part of our group here. She wrote this book, Green Amendments. She's had some amazing successes um, in the nuclear realm of, of stopping permits because of um, constitutional amendments that allow for the rights of nature and the rights of people. So um, hopefully you guys can all exchange info. But um, if you're looking for investors, um, that's a question for you guys. Thank you so John, much. John Carney, are you looking for investors? Yes, definitely. Uh, okay. Thanks, Wendy. I will. I haven't put my contact information in the chat yet, but I will. Please do. Yes. And I want to note, by the way, it really irks me. There's a lot of, of course, you know, hand wringing over and rightfully so over the mining of cobalt and uh, lithium and, and the other rare metals that uh, and earths that go into the solar stuff. But nobody, they, these same people never want to talk about uranium mining, uh, which uh, dates back to the uh, 1500s, actually. Um, uranium was called pitch blend and there were people digging it up and they got, uh, they all died of mountain sickness, which we now know was lung cancer. 
So whenever you, whenever we bring up uh, the uh, pitfalls of rare earth mining, we need to deal with uranium as well. Uh, but uh, John, it's good you uh, put, put your chat in, and and um, uh, it's good to know you're looking for investors. We'll certainly spread the word. Myla Reeson, and then Mary, and then Alex. Go ahead, Myla. Oh, thanks, Harvey. You know, um, <clears throat> John LaForge, you were talking about the uh, extraordinarily large amounts of radioactive uh, tritium, which is radioactive hydrogen, that uh, that is being uh, released at that uh, decrepit nuclear power plant. But, it, you know, it's also being uh, dumped into the uh, Pacific Ocean by TEPCO in Japan. And uh, at Lawrence Livermore Labs, uh, there, there's been a problem with uh, tritium available for children to uh, inhale in the area surrounding the labs where they have fountains where children play very close to tritiated water. And um, and I'm just and and for years we've been hearing from the nuclear power industry that oh it occurs naturally no problem, and I wonder if you John LaForge or Linda Seeley or Harvey can speak for a moment about the problems if you in, ingest or inhale radioactive hydrogen, aka tritium. John LaForge, you probably know something about that. Yeah, yeah, thanks. The uh, well-known expert on the subject, Arjun Makajani, who's going to uh, be a guest with uh, Nuclear Energy Information Service this Thursday and present on the oh, dangers yeah. of tritium. I uh, highly recommend uh, tuning into his Zoom on the dangers of tritium because he's a much Do you have better... a link to that, John, we can put in the chat? Yeah, I, I can I post it earlier. <laughs> yeah, Arjun is I great, can... and it'll be a very interesting uh, piece. So go ahead, please. I can say a couple of things about it that I... Uh, dug up for the piece that I wrote about Monticello. The um, tritium emits beta radiation in the form of these fast-moving particles. And the U.S., even the EPA, and other authorities say beta particles are more penetrating than even alpha particles, which are bigger. Uh, they're capable of penetrating the skin and causing radiation damage. Now, this counters what the company, Northern States Power and Excel, say, oh, this is low level, this is extremely mild radiation. Uh, they never explain the effects of this tritium if it's internally taken, with the breathing or drinking or ingesting it internally, which is a, uh, a difference uh, that Chris Busby explains this way. He says, you can sit in front of a nice warm fire or you can take a hot coal and pop it into your mouth. That's a difference between external and internal radiation exposure. And tritium is a perfect example of it. It's quite dangerous if you inhale or ingest it, or it settles in the tissues and then irradiates surrounding matter for at least uh, two, 100 years, 110 years. Um, Rosalie Bertel says if beta particles are inhaled or ingested, they inflict biological damage more severe than an external exposure. Well, that's what we're all saying. So um, we need to counter what we need to counter what the company keeps saying about this, how mild and harmless it is. And we also need to be aware of how the company gets away with it. In Minnesota, I would like to add this one thing. Uh, in Minnesota, probably funded by 
Excel and Northern States State Power. There's this greenwashing group called Generation Atomic. And it's supposedly trying to rope in young people into a career in uh, the ever uh, ubiquitously uh, beneficial nuclear power system. So Generation Atomic is something to look up and to uh, uh, comment with and even follow their uh, little seminars and forums and speak up because they're full of uh, Nuclear Energy Institute propaganda and they're convincing a whole group of young people that their, their uh, narrative is true when it's just nothing but lies about nuclear power. Okay. Well, listen, we need um, uh, the oldest reactor in the U.S., by the way, is Nine Mile Point, uh, which is up uh, in upstate New York. And I think Monticello is the second oldest. So we need to, um, uh, and, you know, this tritium that comes out of Monticello goes all the way down the Mississippi River, uh, all the way to New Orleans, for God's sake. So, you know, I mean, let's, let's deal with it. Thank you for that, John LaForge. Uh, Mary Stonewall, um, uh, you had something, and then um, I think Alex had a hand, and then we're going to move on to Linda Seeley and talk about uh, Diablo Canyon. Um, uh, and then after that, we'll deal with the Middle East. Uh, go ahead, Mary Butler, and please. I have asked her to unmute, so let's see if she can do that. Okay. And uh, Alex, you you wanted a word? Alex Dubrovsky. And then uh, uh, John LaForge and John Carney. Great to have you both here. So, sorry, I can't hear. That was okay. Alex. Um, so okay. he's now muted. Mary is here now, too. All right, Mary, go ahead, Mary, please. Uh, okay. Um, uh, Mary, uh, that, was, that was Alex once again. So uh, Yes, Alex, thank you. Uh, it's good to have you on, Alex. Thank you very much for your input. Uh, did you want to say something very quickly, Alex? Okay. Um, well, we're having, a, we're having a pair of technical challenges here. Uh, does yeah, the, anyone... pro the problem, yeah, Alex just wants to say he agrees with what we're doing and thank us. And we appreciate you being here, Alex. But please, everyone, if you're going to um, raise your hand, Make sure you don't have a TV or a radio or something else going in the background. We okay. have enough trouble following one show at a time, let alone two or three. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mike Hirsch, for that. And I want to thank Steve uh, Caruso for his uh, incredibly steadfast and, and steady engineering here. Mike as well. And, of course, uh, Wendy uh, for uh, bringing in so many great people. We appreciate it, all of you. Um, uh, Tatanka Brickett, it's good to see you, uh, Dennis Bernstein. Uh, uh, chair, uh, host of the Flashpoint show is with us. Uh, great to have you, Dennis. And um, uh, Dave Saltman, uh, uh, a great uh, expert on the Middle East, will be with us as well uh, in a couple minutes. Uh, Linda Seeley, uh, you're uh, with the Mothers for Peace. You're our perennial mother, <laughs> uh, our den mother. And, uh, I, and uh, Benny DiStefano is with us as well from L.A. We're going to, uh, with the, maybe you can give us a quick update on Assange as we uh, uh, segue over. But let's hear uh, from Linda Seeley, the latest at Diablo Canyon. Uh, what's, what's doing? Well, <clears throat> a lot. Um, I'm in, I want to encourage every single person on this call who lives in California to call both your state senator and your assembly member and tell them that they need to write a new law to reverse SB 846 the law that they wrote 
to keep Diablo Canyon open. And it's because of, we have like six points that we're working, we're meeting almost daily with um, state legislators to give them this message. And what the message is, is number one, <clears throat> we don't need Diablo Canyon. We have plenty of renewable um, energy to replace the 2200 megawatts that's produced by Diablo Canyon, okay? That's, that. this is like kind of reverse order our priorities, okay? The second is the fact that it's a huge expense that turn the um, advocacy group for uh, monitoring costs of uh, energy in California has estimated that if Diablo Canyon stays online till 2030, it's gonna cost the tax or the rate payers $10 billion to keep it online when we don't even need it. Number two, our three, we this this uh, a law that they wrote a year ago in September SB 846 to keep Diablo Canyon open for an extra five years um, has within it the the law says that this has to be a prudent decision based on the available data. Well, the fact is that this the decision that's coming up by the California Public Utilities Commission to keep it open is imprudent, that they haven't done their due diligence, that they don't have the info, a finalized report about the costs. They don't have a finalized report about the availability of renewables. They don't have a finalized seismic report, and they don't have a finalized um, report about the amazingly dangerous reactor vessel of unit one at Diablo Canyon. Okay, then, okay, our next ones are seismic. Um, like I just said, they were in SB 846. It, they relied upon the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to, uh, to order PG&E to do updated seismic studies. Well, the, NRC did not do that, okay? PG&E is making this kind of limp um, effort at, uh, they're not even doing any studies, they're doing a literature review and they're picking and cherry picking the data that they wanna use. And the fact is that the Mothers for Peace um, has hired a an expert witness who's a, uh, professor of seismology at UCLA, who says that the faults that run directly under the plant, there are two of them that run directly under the plant, and those are called thrust faults, which means that if they go off, they don't go like that. They go like that if they go off, which means that there is a tremendously greater amount of uh, ground motion or destruction that happens if one of those things actually lets loose. The last and- Linda, could you just, yeah. for, the, for the benefit of people who are listening on the radio and unable to see your hand oh. motions, could yeah. you just describe the difference between those two yeah. kinds of yeah. motions? A lateral fault is one that goes horizontally. The, the um, uh, earth moves, side to side. A thrust fault is one 
where the earth moves vertically. It pushes up. That's how we got uh, the Rocky Mountains. Those are thrust faults. It's how all, all mountains are created like that, they, they, or else everything would be flat. Um, but we but there are two thrust faults right under Diablo Canyon. And the reason, I mean, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons that we're so concerned about these thrust faults is because of the reactor vessel in unit one, which is embrittled. And what that means is that God forbid there would be an emergency shutdown of the needed uh, for that reactor vessel. Say there was uh, an earthquake or um, uh, an error by one of the operators or um, somebody coming in and doing some bad thing, some, I don't even wanna talk about it, but somebody who had bad intentions that this reactor vessel, it's very old. It is, um, the metals in it are not the proper con the proper constitution for a reactor vessel. They by by the way, this reactor vessel was um, manufactured in 1967. Subsequently, they changed the material components of reactor vessels, and now uh, they would not, of course, allow this kind of reactor vessel to be built. But so say they have to shut it down really fast. The way they shut it down is that they pour cold water into it. If they had to do that, what would happen is that the thing could shatter like a glass, like a like a glass full of ice poured into a, a thrust into a, a pan of boiling water, just and that would cause an actual um meltdown that would destroy the California, you know? So here small we have detail. small so, detail. So we have so no Linda, Yeah. You, you are conducting three separate um, uh, political or legal uh, strategies. We Number are. one, the, the mothers are in federal court challenging the uh, NRC's violation of their licensing uh, uh, requirements. Right. Number two, you're in front of the PUC uh, challenging the economic realities of the reactor. And number three, you're in front of the NRC uh, on these issues of uh, uh, embrittlement and, and seismic questions. So the question then becomes, how do we win? And, and um, you know, uh, like I say, in, in Minnesota, we almost won. We did give birth to or help give birth to the wind industry. And by, by the way, uh, John, uh, Carney, I know you're going to have to leave at some point. So uh, come back again. And thank you very much. It's great to reconnect with you, man. Uh, really good to see you. Um, and same, same with you, John LaForge. I don't know if you leave, have to leave, but thank you for being with us. Um, so what do we do? What? How do we now win? You've got to put the Mothers for Peace links in the chat. We've had you on before. Um, um, and um, uh, Gavin Newsom uh, signed the original deal to shut the Abo Canyon uh, that was signed in 2016 uh, unit one was supposed to shut next year, unit two in 25. Gavin Newsom waltzed in and uh, completely reversed uh, uh, that that deal, which was a huge deal. I mean, the governor, Jerry Brown, he he was lieutenant governor. Uh, the unions, the communities, 
local communities, the the utility, the uh, regulatory agencies, the the whole legislature, a number of the environmental groups, everybody signed on. And he walks in with virtually no notice and um, and revokes it. How and now clearly he's running for president. And I will say that um, um, the odds on uh, Gavin Newsom becoming president in 2024 are as strong as on anybody else in the field at this point in time. Um, uh, because he's, should Biden falter, which is highly likely, uh, he's the most likely guy to step in. And here he he's just stabbed us in the back at the last remaining reactors in California. What do we, how do we, how do we deal with this? What, what, how do we Call the governor's office. Tell them it's an outrage that this plant is still running. Um, call your state senators, your state assembly members. Support Mothers for Peace. With Mothers for Peace, we are running up bills like you wouldn't imagine because of all of our um, yeah. expert witnesses that we've had to hire. Um, <clears throat> we we have two amazing material scientists who are both faculty members at UC Berkeley who are pro-nuclear, both of these guys, and both of them have read the report or have looked at all the data from the Unit 1 reactor vessel, and both of them are like, oh my God, this thing has to be, that has to be inspected. They haven't inspected the thing since 2003, um, and it's embrittled. And so, but we, you know, where there are, it's like we need people to be voicing their worries and outrage that we could be on this path to keeping this insane thing going for another five or maybe another 20 years, because that's what PG&E applied for, a 20-year license renewal. Okay. So I, I will point out that uh, more people were arrested at the Diablo Canyon nuclear plant than any other reactor in the United States, including both me <clears throat> and Linda. Um, uh, I highly recommend the San Luis Obispo County Jail if you want to do it again. But um, you know, those days a little, a little. We we need another strategy. Let's put it that way. Uh, Justin LeBlanc, you have your hand. Anybody else want to chime in? Uh, we're going to move on from this to the Middle East at some point, but. Um, we have uh, Vina Colwell. has been here. She's oh, yes. Vina, to get in for Vina we want you to talk about Portsmouth. Vina, so, are you available? Hello, Vina. Uh, go ahead, Justin. We'll see if we can track down Vina here. We still have 58 people on the call. You people are incredibly <laughs> sturdy and very long attention span. Really great to have you all uh, stick, stick with us. Justin, then we'll go to Vina. Yes. So uh, for those who weren't aware, Power in California isn't just managed by the utilities. Uh, there are many agencies that get involved. One of those is the Department of Water Resources. And uh, they actually approved recently 3,700 megawatts of extension for natural gas plants that are intermittent. <clears throat> those are actually better fit for the grid than Diablo because Diablo has to run 24-7 even when people aren't using it but the, new, the gas plants can run only when they're needed and they aren't needed that much. And so really they are, you know, that's almost twice as much as Diablo's production for both towers right there. So Newsom, if he wants an out, he has that. But 
what's commonly coming across my desk is people are saying, well, yeah, but the electric car load is just going to be so much and we don't know what it's going to be and so on and so forth as yet a layer upon layer upon layer of bailout to PG&E who went bankrupt a few years ago. But uh, the truth of all of that is that electric car adoption is only for new cars. And so the curve for that is actually really slow. In fact, a lot of people are saying that, you know, maybe I'll go hybrid, maybe I'll uh, buy a used car, right? And so the, the outsized fear that the grid is going to have just so much more load that we need all the power all the time is just overblown. And yes, so it's a lie. It, it, yeah, because it's a lie, Really, you know, we should be retrofitting our houses with more insulation, so we're using less power anyway. And well, the big revolution in, in, in California, especially, somebody's uh, somebody's got something going on yeah. in the background. Um, the uh, the big revolution in California, actually, aside from the 1.8 million solar rooftops, is battery. And somebody uh, got a mute or whatever, but uh, the uh, we have enough battery power in california that twice uh, batteries have saved the the grid from blackout and um and you know the battery backup now in um there's been a whole shift of paradigm a away from baseload as you pointed out justin and b uh to battery backup uh, to the extent that um the utility in vermont is who, who is that please i guess you have to unmute everybody and i'll have to unmute um, uh, the big ba uh, the big uh, paradigm shift is so um, powerful that the Vermont utility is now not going to dig any more power lines. They're going straight to to batteries. Everybody in Vermont is going to have batteries, and it just shifts old paradigm. And then that has happened in California as well. So, Linda, we we're all going to line up, and uh, we got to make this happen. Tatanka, I know, is uh, tied into a lot of the organizing in California. We just need to make this happen. John LaForge, go ahead. John LaForge, and then we're going to go to Vina Collie in Southern Ohio. And then we'll go to the Middle East. Go ahead, John. Oh, you're, hold on. A good yeah. transition point here because of the, <clears throat> the reason I'm out here in New York. We uh, aren't going to get a solar revolution or a renewable energy resolution with $1.7 trillion of U.S. tax money going to the nuclear weapons industry over the next 30 years. Uh, this week is the launch of the second meeting of states' parties to the new, relatively new, Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, which the U.S. has been strenuously fighting against, along with the other nuclear weapon states, for four long years now. The treaty came into force two years ago. Uh, the states' parties uh, are now 69 that have joined the treaty and are trying to push the nuclear powers into signing on to this, save this money, stop this waste of resources and the threatened use of nuclear weapons, and uh, it's a tough haul, so it just indicates how much a broad front we have to struggle with, not just on nuclear power, but on nuclear weapons as well. Well, many of us believe that this mis uh, uh, crazy backing of commercial reactors, which are, you know, the average reactor in the United States is 93, soon to be 94, and that'll be the last. The average reactor in the United States is more than 40 years old, and they make no economic sense whatsoever. And there seems to be this uh, a strange uh, tailwind 
that's coming from somewhere and we think it's the nuclear weapons industry. I mean, uh, I think you're absolutely right. They're, 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 the, the invisible hand pushing nuclear power in this country is the demand of the nuclear weapons industry for uh, infrastructure, for fuel, and for personnel. And, um, you know, it makes no sense otherwise. We no, can't it doesn't make any sense. Out. Makes no sense. So the very, only the only sense it does make is for the con, the uh, conveyor belt, the construction on of nuclear weapons that they want to keep going because they have the infrastructure established for seven decades. And, uh, for example, the B-61, which is deployed in Europe and forward deployed and threatening Russia every day, uh, has gone through 12 permutations. Just two weeks ago, the military announces, oh, we're going to have the B-61-13 to keep the assembly line underway. It has nothing to do with defense at all. It's a jobs program and a way to maintain prestige and expertise in a dead industry and a killing industry. And then all these all these other countries, uh, you know, want new nu- nuclear power plants. And clearly it's, it's for weapons. So, you know, but, you know, we can't, the, the push for nuclear, uh, first of all, the small reactors are, are almost dead. Uh, uh, but economically, uh, it's catastrophic. There was more news today in Bloomberg. I mean, the, the, the all the investors in the small reactors are, are jumping off the ship. Uh, it, it's a disaster uh, financially. And on the, uh, and, on, and, on and the cusp in Ohio is Vena Coley, who where they're trying to build a new facility they're already tearing down the old one without precautions people are getting dying of cancer down there at a higher rate than any other county it's crazy vena you want to step up here yes please vena fill us in the 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 portsmouth facility is actually the missing link and john especially at um nuke watch and the rest of you follow this issue (laughs) portsmouth ohio and what they're doing there really explains a lot about the connection between nuclear power and nuclear weapons. Uh, Vina, please. Vina's been with us, uh, waiting patiently, and a, a tremendous lifelong activist. Uh, go ahead, Vina. Hi, my name is Vina Colley, and I'm president of the Portsmouth Piketon Residence for Environmental Safety and Security and National Nuclear Workers for Justice. For 70-some years, this Piketon facility has been polluting. Piketon is the largest facility in the world. It has two of the largest buildings in the world. Um, We are sitting on fractured bedrock and all of our drains and things go to a place called the Scioto River, which within 20 miles empties out into the Ohio River. So we have been polluting the Ohio River now for 70 some years. Workers uh, have gotten paid for some of their cancers are still having to fight. Um, we found out here just lately that there is 80 acres on site that they have gave to a community group called Sodai. Sodai is going to take this 80 acres and sell 20 at a time for $20,000. And when they get done, they're going to be making $1.2 million and we will have two modular reactors on site. Um, for years, uh, press fought not to have the uh, waste brought into uh, Piketon, and uh, it, everyone, everything died down, so they couldn't get what they wanted through the citizens, so they went around to all the area county commissioners 
and the commissioners gave them an okay to make these 12 waste cells on site. Our belief and opinion is they're going to make us a nuclear hub for all of these other facilities who have transuranic waste, and we are going to reprocess it or recycle it uh, for these modular reactors. One thing that's been a top secret at Pike in all these years, we were supposed to be a uranium enrichment facility. Instead, we were reprocessing and re, re, reprocessing or re, um, um, well, reprocessing stuff that came in from Russia and uh, Hanford and West Valley, New York, and they gummed up the Piketon site. So we weren't supposed to have plutonium and neptunium and, and amnesia and all these things on site, but because they reprocessed or recycled this uh, transuranics from other site, then it gummed up our site. The workers weren't dressed, the community's not dressed for all the releases, and they never tell the community when we have a release. There's never been an alarm for the community, even though they went out and cleaned up the homes when Goodyear was there. And, and left in 85, they would go out and clean off these community residents, their homes, and clean them from the inside and out. And now they don't do that at all. Of course, the cooling towers and the steam plant is gone. And um, we, have, we have a huge pipe that goes from the plant straight into the side of the river. And at one time, the EPA office went down there with me, and they were able to, to detect chromium and PCBs and radiation in these fish, but nothing has ever been done. And I don't know how many experts have been in here, Arjun Makajani, um, um, uh, Marvin Rezikoff, uh, had a Russian Siberian scientist that came in. We had Joe Mangano, who's just done an epidemiology study. And the cancer rate here is higher than any in Ohio. And we're about 85% national. He said that Piketon is the worst site that he's ever seen. The health issues here are tremendous. And we're hoping that somehow or another we can get on the record downwinders list because we definitely are downwinders and we are human guinea pigs. Um, I don't know for sure. They're trying to start up the centrifuge. So I don't know if this is where they're going to bring in all all of these other sites in the U.S. and foreign to reprocess for us to fuel this through modular reactors. And um, I've asked if we can come in and take soil samples and they won't let us. And of course, if anyone knows about the EPA and the NRC, nobody takes samples. DOE takes the samples and gives them their paperwork on what they think is at this site. So in the meantime, they haven't listened to any of us. I've been work doing this since the 80s, and now they have contaminated so many people, and we had so much cancer here, and I blame the DOE and the DOD and the contractors at this facility. Uh, we had a contracting group called Boone Coleman's Construction. He had 17 family members that worked at the plant, and they passed away with cancer and illnesses. So now uh, here it is, 2023, and we have truck drivers again coming in, getting their trucks filled up. They don't have any protective equipment on, and the the workers at the plant have have protection, but they don't. So you know, it's 
history repeats itself. They don't care. They don't care about this community. And they've had, I don't know, three or four incinerators. They had the steam plant. Uh, they burnt radioactive contaminated uh, PCB oil. Uh, we dumped uh, trichloroethylene and PCB oils as I was a worker. And we dumped these down the drains. And I filed a grievance on this in 1983. And here we are still today fighting this facility. And, and they don't pay any attention to the experts that come in here. And they have no experts at that plant. And well, you're even the expert. Vina, you're the expert. Vina, Vina, I've been down there and I've met Vina. And, uh, you know, it, it, that is the hub, uh, Portsmouth Piketon, that explains the whole um, uh, background uh, foundation of the commercial reactor industry as it segues into the weapon industry. It's all at Portsmouth Piketon. You know, many of the uh, facilities that were uh, sprouted up in the uh, Manhattan Project have been shut. You know, Rocky Flats, Ashtabula, uh, but whatever they shut from the Manhattan Project that built the atomic bomb has resurfaced in, in and been reincarnated at Portsmouth Piketon. That, that's where it's at. I also mentioned that there's 25,000 depleted uranium cylinders where they cleaned up all these sites and shipped this depleted uranium cylinders to Python just sitting outside in the yard and they give off high neutron exposures. And nothing ever happened. They shipped them here and they didn't go anywhere. They're trying to reconvert them, but I don't know if that's working or not. But I know they give off high neutron exposures, some of the highest on the plant side right now. Well, and also the depleted uranium stuff is turned into anti-tank shells. And, um, and I don't know if they do that at Piketon or at Portsmouth, but, uh, but uh, you know, the depleted uranium, you, you build the shell, you don't need explosive in the shell. It's just, it just uh, highly, um, extremely hard, penetrates tanks and, and other uh, heavy uh, military equipment, and then turns into uranium dust and completely uh, it contaminates places like Iraq. Um, um, and probably Gaza. Yeah, that, that's the whole point. And Russia, after Chernobyl in the United States, they bury this information, how much radiation is actually released. The epidemiology studies are hidden from site, and doctors have to start from square one trying to establish a baseline of how much is radiation. And they're finding time and time again that it's affecting people a lot worse than the government is leading on. It's got to stop. This has got to stop. It's it's, it's unreal. I will say also there was a, a facility in this area in southern Ohio called Fernald, and they, they called it the Fernald Feed Plant. Uh, and uh, But it was, you know, totally weapons, nuclear weapons plant. And I went down there and they had the big cooling tower or the whatever tower they had down there painted blue and white, a checkerboard. And and to basically deceive the public, there were people who lived near Fernald for decades who thought it was uh, uh, for for um, uh, animal feed, and, and it, was, it was a total deception, uh, portrayed perpetrated on the local people when in fact it was a, a feed-in plant for highly radioactive materials, and people down there died in droves. Vina, we are grateful for your health. <laughs> and just stay healthy, please, and keep on it. Um, uh, Wendy has a hand, and um, Mary and John LaForge. 
and then we're going to move on. Go ahead, Mary and Wendy. Thank you. Um, just really quickly, while we have John here, um, I, I feel like I need to add this to the conversation, especially talking about the um recycling of waste products. Um, I wrote an article that uh Lynn Feinerman put in the chat for her Women's Rising Radio about um phosphogypsum in Florida and how we just recently passed a law that allows the radioactive waste of the phosphorus industry, um, which is something, a substance called gypsum that is like accumulated in massive, massive, massive stacks. And they don't have anything, this is starting to leach. So they don't have anything to do with this phosphogypsum. So they're trying to use it to pave the roads. They wanna pave the roads in Florida with radioactive material. And they tried doing this in Idaho because there's also phosphorus mining up there. And like you're saying, there's all kinds of massive cancer rates in that area and they had to stop. It was a different type of phosphorus, but phosphorus is used for fertilizer, anything with PFAS, um, and also military applications like white phosphorus. And so just, just so you have it on your radar, um, the, the EPA has rules against it, but obviously it, you know they're, they're working around this and they're starting, and, and as soon as they get one approval, they up the numbers for what will be allowed, but they literally want to pave the roads with a decaying radon. And I just think that that's something that is like needs to be talked about. And I'll repost a link. Thank you. Well, let, let's hope that Ron DeSantis does a walking tour of Florida on those roads. That would be that would be fitting. Sorry about that. Uh, Mary, thank you to Winnie, Mary uh, Butler, and then uh, John LaForge. Mary. <clears throat> yeah. Um... I want you guys to remember we got Hanford up here in Washington state, which is considered the most polluted nuclear wise in the world. And that it's right off the Columbia river that feeds, helps feed California, Arizona and everybody else, their public water supply. So uh, we got to talk about that. Furthermore, it's burnt twice. When we had those big fires in Washington state, the grasslands over that plant burnt, the whole plant got burnt all the way across. Uh, in 2015 and around 2016 they had a collapse of the storage areas wink wink and they had all the people that worked there leave and they brought in special security people and did whatever and then told the people that work at the plant you can come back now but they never told them what they did to secure the radiation and those units that are storing them uh, these underground bunkers that are storing them that are actually above and below ground are severely damaged and cracking everywhere because of the first fire that went across. And then we had a fire in 2017 that went across those grasslands. And all of Spokane, where I live, is downwind of that area. So people got to pay attention to Hanford, too. Because Hanford is part of the Philadelphia right. project. Hanford's part of all the nuclear projects that ever went on. It right. was one of the first ones that started doing the uranium. So it's one of the oldest active uh, radioactive sites in the United States. And there's right. no no scene for cleaning up at all going on. Well, the the the, the numbers that of, of that would cost to clean up Hanford are are just you know cosmic. Uh, a guy named Josh Frank, who's an editor at Counterpunch, has been on uh, these Zoom calls. A very good guy. He has a book called Atomic Days about Hanford. Thank you for that, Mary. Uh, I mean, Hanford is beyond a nightmare. And it's and really, Portsmouth Piketon is its, its uh, uh, twin. 
its evil twin. Uh, uh, John LaForge, go ahead. Oh, thanks, Harvey. I just wanted to say thanks for having me on and thanks for plugging our terrific newsletter, the Nuke Watch Quarterly. Uh, we uh, slave over it. We try to cover these issues that everyone's been talking about. And there's so much bad news that uh, our office joke is uh, the worst that could happen is that we're proven right. But our yeah. our masthead says uh, something more positive. It's from Albert Camus, who said we can rebel equally well against lies as against oppression. So thanks again for having me on. Well, you do great work, John, and be sure and be in touch with Vina Colley, uh, and with Mary uh, in Hanford. And, um, you know, uh, if we didn't make any progress, we wouldn't be alive at all right now. I want to say hi to Cynthia Papermaster uh, from Thanks Code again. Well, thank you, John. Before you, You're fabulous. Before you go, before you make go, sure you put your connections there. Go ahead, Myla. Thank you. Sorry. Um, just before you go, I wonder, do you have a link to that um, <clears throat> that Zoom with Arjun Makajani about the health effects of tritium. Did you put that in the chat? And if you have it, could you kind of tell us how to find it? This I've got Thursday. it, Myla. I put it in there. I'll give it to you. Oh, okay. Why don't you put it in the chat for everybody, uh, Steve? And thank you. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you, uh, John, again. Um, and um, uh, uh, Brian Akali, is there anything further you'd like to say? Uh, before we move on again, I want to uh, thank you for your <laughs> thank you for your service, as they say. Uh, but um, uh, please tell us uh, uh, what we can do about Portsmouth Python. Uh, I have a Facebook called it's called Vina Collie, and uh, I keep track of what's going on at the uh, plant. I put it I put it on my Facebook for people to see, and and right now I think we're in need of getting people to help. Uh, call the representatives and try to get us on the uh, record down winners list. I think that the government owes the community that much because, you know, once you, you file a lawsuit, there's only very few people who's involved in a lawsuit and they're the closest people that's at the plant. But here we have seven counties around the plant within a 50 mile radius. Um, Joe, who's an epidemiologist, said that these counties are all the highest in, in cancer. So we really need to help get people to call in our representatives to see if they won't push for a record down winners list for the Piketon community and the Portsmouth community. Well, thank you again. Um, just, Sorry, go ahead. It, it's just so overwhelming that every, every time you talk to somebody, they have somebody uh, with cancer, they're putting it on Facebooks. They put them everywhere now, and we we have a survey for people to fill out for cancer to try to track some of the names down to get them into Washington D.C. again. Bonnie, you've done fantastic work. Thank you so much. Make sure your connections are all in the chat, uh, and and keep up your fantastic stuff. And people who really, uh, uh, you know, this idea that the nuclear weapon weapons industry is behind the nuclear power industry, you can really see the nexus uh, at Portsmouth Piketon. As you can at Hanford, there is a commercial reactor still operating at Hanford, utterly ridiculous, completely unnecessary, uh, and they just keep it going because it's a weapons situation. That's the reality. Okay. Uh, thank you so much, Henry. Linda Seeley, you want to have a last word on Diablo? Uh, we're going to go talk to Vinny DiStefano uh, about uh, Assange, and then we're going to talk for a few minutes about the Middle East. Uh, Linda? Uh, <clears throat> please call Governor Newsom. Uh, please call your state legislators. 
and tell them that we do not need Diablo Canyon and that it's a dangerous proposition. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, I, thanks I, a I, lot, Harvey. Well, thank you. We we just got to shut it down. I'm, I'm directly downwind from Diablo. And um, the, bottom, the good news is if we shut these two reactors at Diablo Canyon, California, which is the number five economy in the world, will join Germany, which is the number four economy in the world, and being post-nuclear. And I just saw a big piece today about the gargantuan amount of solar that China is building. China is still toying with more nuclear power, but uh, the, 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 their investments in solar is just spectacular. And I will say one thing that people need to pay attention to. China is has enormous amounts of desert. You know, China uh, uh, geographically is almost exactly the same size as the United States. Um, and they're putting these uh, solar panels in the desert, but they're, they're making them high enough, uh, mounting them high enough that they're growing persimmon trees under the solar panels. I don't know what they're doing for water, but, you know, in the desert, there are a lot of things that grow in the shade that can't grow in the desert. And this I is called ag agrivoltaics. And they're growing persimmon trees and uh, just tons of other stuff. The Chinese are. It's really interesting. So I, I generally really strongly advocate for rooftop solar. But if they're going to do it in the desert and they can grow crops, wow, that's pretty amazing. I want to thank John Carney uh, for being with us also. And, and John, I want to see you again uh, shortly, please. And uh, John LaForge, come on anytime, please. Uh, great to have you, Linda. The mothers are absolutely essential. Really, really need you. Um, uh, okay. I want to go to Vinny Stefano now. And we are going to talk, Vinny, about the Assange campaign. And then we're going to segue. We'll go to 420, uh, as we usually do in, at California time and talk about the Middle East. Uh, but uh, Vinny, tell us what's happening with the- uh... Hey, I'm going to be really quick because the Middle East situation, as you can see by the image behind me, is of epic importance. I thought, that several was, I thought that was Detroit behind you. Is, is, it no? used to be Detroit. They yeah, did so okay. well in How dare uh, Michigan. You? They moved it to <laughs> Gaza. Okay. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, there are several things that have occurred recently. I just posted an article by Craig Murray in the chat and it is about the Supreme Court in Britain making decisions on deportations of Rwandans. And it could have a beneficial effect on uh, Julian's behalf, because they basically said the judges, which are acting by imperial fiat uh, in the lower courts and the government officials by imperial fiat, uh, the Supreme Court has decided that they, they really can't do that. And rather than butcher up what Craig has written so incredibly well, please look in the chat. That article is well worth reading. The second thing that is happening that is of epic importance is there are four lawyers who represent Julian Assange who visited him in the Ecuadorian embassy and had their phones and computers confiscated and then replicated as a serious breach of the attorney-client privilege. So they sued the CIA uh, just before Thanksgiving. Uh, the CIA appealed that case in a court in New York with a very, very, very good judge who more than likely will find in the plaintiff's behalf and not uh, dismiss the charges. And what they're saying is if they are successful, that could be another avenue that could get Julian released, much, ex much the same way that Daniel Ellsberg, much to his regret, never went to trial because of Richard Nixon's 
breaking into his psychiatrist's office. I mean, there is a laundry list of breaches of ethics that have occurred in the Assange trial that Kafka couldn't even make up. He'd say they're too damn Kafkaesque even for me. But right now, those are the things that uh, we've had. Now, we had, sadly to say, a hack on the DEA website in uh, London and the Assange defense site here in the U.S. They're finally back up. They were down for almost a week. And our email was down. You know, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they aren't actually following you. And I believe this is not just a case of something crashing. It is nefarious actors trying to silence us because there is good news on the horizon. There's good news. What Craig Murray wrote, I think, is good news and the suit that's occurring in New York. So what I would encourage everybody to do, and I'll wrap it up with this, is please call your senators, call your congressmen, call Biden, call Merrick Garland, tell them to drop this case once and for all. They swore an oath to defend the Constitution against enemies both foreign and domestic. And this is the greatest assault on our Constitution we've experienced in our lifetime. If he is sent to the United States where he'll be found guilty, it spells the end of the First Amendment, because it'll be the first time that a journalist has been prosecuted and charged not for causing harm, not for printing lies. They said everything that he said was truthful and that no one was harmed by the revolution. So they just want his head and a pike to get anybody that would be an investigative journalist and show them what will happen to them if they do likewise. And I know there's a lot to cover in the Middle East. So, Harvey, thank you for this opportunity. And thank you guys all out there. And a great discussion on nuclear energy. It gives me hope that we won't have to worry about getting Julian or finding a uh, an end to the Gaza nightmare. We might be able to blow ourselves up or wipe ourselves out with uh, nuclear waste very easily. And then all our troubles are over. Let me ask you, Vinny, real quick. Um, wasn't Julian, I mean, there's been delay, obviously. Yes, um, there has. And it's also astonishing that they're charging a guy who's not even an American citizen and who's only been in the United States for four days. I mean, that's absolutely- For treason, for treason, who's not a citizen. Absolutely ridiculous. So we're hoping a lot of uh, pressure has been coming from Australia. Uh, Uh, A great deal of pressure. 70 uh, parliamentarians who agree on absolutely nothing sent a letter to the Biden administration. 60 in Britain who agree on nothing as well, believing that this is important because it has implications not just for the U.S., but for the rest of the world. Basically, the United States and its you know the rules-based order has decided they can snatch anyone it wants for printing truthful information that they find troublesome and throw them in jail for the rest of their lives. Uh, I think what you're referring to, Harvey, was the appeal for against his extradition which was summarily kind of dismissed a 150-page document uh, that his uh, um, defense prepared and presented to the courts. One of the courts, Judge Swift, dismissed it with a double-spaced three-page dismissal without addressing any of their points and said, you'll only have a half an hour for the entire trial in the appeal. And that appeal was supposed to happen sometime before Thanksgiving, and it opened the court opened up in October, but we have no idea when that case will ultimately be heard. But again, read uh, Craig Murray's article because it'll give you a keen insight in what could be an incredible ray of hope for Julian. 
with the judiciary in Britain. Okay, if you can put the link in the chat, that would be great. I will do it once more. I do want to mention that I would be remiss. Myla Reeson, Sakura Forzen, I have a show or had a show um, on KPFK Pacifica, the California Solartopia show. It's been off for God knows how long. But we're going to be back on Wednesday (laughs) night, uh, uh, 5 o'clock Pacific time. Vinny will be expecting you to listen in. It'll be in in Los Angeles, and we try and get it out on the net. It's going to be an hour. Um, uh, 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 used to be a half hour, so that's that's now up to an hour. And um, we're hoping for call-ins. Uh, we don't know if they're going to be technically able to do it, but it's called California Solartopia, and it will be on 5 p.m. Pacific time uh, this coming Wednesday. And uh, 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 for a full hour, Linda Seeley will be our guest to begin with. And anybody else who wants to call in, uh, please do. Okay. And we have a meeting tonight at 6.30 West Coast time, don't we? That's, that's for Pacific, yeah. yes. Okay. Can All I right. just say, Harvey, uh, 90.7 FM in yes. Los Angeles is the our, the place to find KPFK on your radio dial. Right. But you can also find it online. If you're not in Los Angeles, you can just go to kpfk.org and uh, and tune in at six, six, 5 o'clock this coming Wednesday. And right. uh, five o'clock Pacific time, right? And please, please do uh, listen. And uh, um, we're really looking forward to getting back on the air so that we can spread the word about all things bad nuclear and please uh, and all of the problems. Oh, thank you, Steve. And uh, and uh, we'll talk all about, about renewable solar, wind, and uh, look forward to uh, having a wonderful show. Right. If you're trying to find us on the dial. And you, you find yourself listening to classical music. That's ninety-one point seven KUSC. We're at ninety point seven. So there you go. Uh, great. Uh, thank you for that, Myla. And uh, um, we're now going to. Uh, I always do this with a certain amount of dread, but um, uh, and by the way, thank you, Vinny and and Tatanka Bricka has now joined the KPFK board. Um, um, uh, proving that there's a sucker born every minute. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> it's going to be great to have you on, Tatanka and uh, Vinny. Uh, you know, you'll be with us, and we're, we're we we may actually be making some headway in saving the Pacifica network. And I want to want to mention that uh, you know it's been a three year slog here, but hopefully we will have a network uh, that will be great for progressives uh, to tune into and to be a part of. Big deal, KPFK. Pacifica, and uh, and uh, let's move ahead with that. Okay, now it's always with great. Tr- we're all also. This has been uh, the second hour. We're at the top uh, at four o'clock uh, Pacific time. Um, um, we were technically supposed to shut down so that Steve uh, can go get a cup of coffee. But uh, thank you, Steve uh, and Mike and Wendy for sticking with it here. Uh, we'll go for uh, twenty minutes. We'll do a longer again next week. The point of this discussion, we had a great roundtable a few weeks ago on on the Middle East. And uh, now we find we're in the middle of a hostage exchange. And I think that one of the most important decisions in the history of the human race is coming up as to whether or not the bombing is going to and the war is going to resume. And so we've heard a tremendous amount of back and forth and still do about the origins of the state of Israel and all the injustices on either side. Uh, Of course, we're all interested in that. What really interests me at this point in time is how do we prevent 
this war from resuming? What concrete action can we take to stop the hostilities from resuming once the hostage uh, exchange is completed? Hopefully all hostages will be freed and will be at a new ground zero, to coin a phrase. And um, what do we do to stop this? In my world, it, it, it's it's about Netanyahu um, and and his agenda and the Hamas agenda and all that. But so we you can make your statements. We'll give everybody ninety seconds or so. Um, uh, but what do we do to prevent this from resuming? Uh, nothing would be more heartbreaking than to have more hostages, more bloodshed. How do we stop it? Cynthia, you had your friend. Uh, Vinny, we'll go to you a third after of Cynthia and Lynn, and then I know you wanted to speak, uh, Vinny. So go ahead, uh, Cynthia. I know you're in Berkeley. It's good to see you. You're a code pink stalwart and a great activist. Good to have you with us. Go ahead. Thanks so much, Harvey. Um, well, one thing that code pink thinks that we can do to, to make a difference long term is to stop funding, um, you know, weapons, which are just basically that money is just going to Lockheed Martin and Boeing and Raytheon and Grumman and so forth. And they're telling their shareholders how how wonderful this conflict is for their profits. I mean, that's shameful. And uh, also getting more Congress members to have the courage to call for a ceasefire is really important. And so I'm putting in the chat our action this coming Sunday at Nancy Pelosi's house. Nancy Pelosi um, thinks that we can't have a ceasefire because Hamas will regroup and rearm, et cetera, et cetera, completely ignoring the fact that thousands and thousands of people are dying from the bombing and uh, and the violence in the West Bank. So that's what I would suggest is that we get Congress to stop funding and Biden to stop funding uh, the weapons shipments to Israel. Thank you. Thanks for letting Thank me you. And of course, one of the ironies of the money that's gone to Israel is that some of it's gone to Hamas. That's sake. right. That's right. Um, it's well known that that Netanyahu early on um, supported Hamas, the formation of Hamas, Funded. so that he could counter the um, power of the Palestinian Authority. He wanted to create a situation where there would never be peace because uh, he's a right wing. He's he, well, you you know what. <laughs> you already have your opinion about Netanyahu, but he needs to go and Israelis need to have true safety and security and peace as well as the Palestinians. Thanks. Thank you, Cynthia. You're always so articulate and it's great to see you. Be sure and say hi to Joanna Macy for us all. Yeah. Um, please. Lynn Feinerman and then Benny. And uh, Dave yes. Sullivan will work you in also. Lynn Feinerman, go ahead. Thank you. Um, and thanks so much to Cynthia for your work. You're awesome and sublime. Um, I wanted to say that it, I really love Vinnie DiStefano's poster that he has <laughs> back. I mean, it gets to the heart and soul of the matter, okay? Because the truth is that the only way to get rid of um, Benjamin Netanyahu is to confront the greater Israel issue is to confront what it is that Israel really wants. And it was very intriguing to me that somebody mentioned, I forget who it was, that there are big, shallow natural gas uh, deposits 
on the Gaza Strip side of the Mediterranean, whereas Israel's uh, Mediterranean borders are, uh, the gas deposits are much deeper. And it kind of made me think, well, maybe that's what this was all about. Who knows what the real source of the desire to wipe out Gaza is. And I think that we really need to um, try to encourage in Israel there, a real conversation about just what land they want and what they are expecting Israel to look like, what the goals are. And so thank you, Benny, for that lovely poster. Well, and thank you, uh, uh, um, Lynn, for your great radio show and uh, your wisdom. It's always great to have you uh, speaking with us. Uh, Vinny, do you want to go next? And sure, I'll go next, and I'll be, again, very, very quick. We give $3.8 billion of aid unquestionably to Israel. Now, might, the important question is to ask why. And much of it is due to the uh, Israel lobby. There's an incredible book I would suggest you all read. It's called The Israel Lobby. It's by John Mearsheimer and Walt. And it is a uh, cavalcade of just how money determines what happens in the Congress. The problem that we have is people know that if they stand against the state of Israel, not against Jews, but against the state of Israel and what it does to the Palestinians, they are going to be, uh, uh, the APIC is going to spend somewhere in the order of $10 million to get rid of progressive uh, Democrats. And so I think what we need to do is we need to tell the Democratic Party, if you hope to get any of our votes and us not to Ralph Nader you or Marianne Williamson you, you need to deal with this issue and force Israel to do the right thing. It happened before. It happened with Eisenhower. It happened with Kennedy. It happened with Carter. And it could happen if Joe Biden grew a spine to halt the bloodshed. I don't need to tell anybody on this call, more almost 6,000 children have been killed. Doesn't matter how many people have been killed or wounded, 6,000 children have been killed with our tax dollars. And you need to tell people the blood of their lives is on our hands as US taxpayers. And tell our congressmen, tell our senators, tell our assemblymen and our governors, if you continue to support uh, unquestionably, the state of Israel, you won't get our votes, no matter who it means is going to get elected. Thank you, you. Thank you for that. Uh, Julie Wiener, Omer, uh, Mike Hirsch, uh, Dave Saltman. I don't know if you're still with us. Uh, if you are, uh, raise your hand if you want to speak. And Dennis uh, Bernstein, I don't know if you're still with us. Um, uh, but go ahead, uh, Julie Wiener. Julie, are you unmuted? Uh, go ahead, Julie. Unmuted. You're unmuted. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, okay, good. Um, yeah, I I wanted to talk a little bit about Israel's goal of, quote, defeating Hamas. Um, I Hamas is the elected leadership of the Palestinian Authority. The same argument for destroying Hamas, destroying all of Hamas's leadership, because their founding document calls for the uh, destruction of the state of Israel, 
The fact is the Likud's founding document calls for the destruction and the um, prevention of any political power for the, pal from the, for the Palestinians. So a parallel, um, you know, American diplomats and politicians would be horrified if uh, anybody said that Likud has to be gotten rid of. We have to overturn Likud because it would be understood that that means overturning the state of Israel. Hamas is the elected leadership since 2006 and uh, Israel, Israel and the, the PA have been afraid to have any more elections. Those are the elected, that's the elected leadership. So what they're talking about is destruction of the whole PA polity. So, and I think I, I've been, and I, it was I who put up the question. There's a good, there's an article that is very comprehensive but undocumented in the, in the, um, uh, what's the name of the, uh, the group? I, I'll have to find the link to it. I can't think of it. Um, never. I'll, oh, okay. I'll give you a link. There are a number of comprehensive articles about about this issue of whether this is a pre-planned. Whether this is a war for oil, for um, natural gas, for energy resources, another um, war for energy resources. I personally suspect because of the um, immediate, pr obviously previously agreed upon line, oh, we'd like a pause. We, wait. we don't want a ceasefire. We want a pause in the fighting. I personally think that this was pre-planned and that if those of you should share my skepticism about the 9-11 nar narrative, look at what happened. There are huge parallels to 9-11. The, yeah. the, the humiliation, the, the elaborately planned propaganda campaign to generate rage, rage, fear and rage in the population. I mean, I remember people, you know, okay. in the West. Looking at okay, thank you. Thank you, Julie. Uh, Mike Hurst and then Wendy. Mike. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for this opportunity, Sluggo. Uh, I, I want to try to bring a little light and optimism into this very grim and forbidding situation. The fact of the matter is, no matter how many times you'll hear things like this is a centuries-old conflict, this is an uh, irreconcilable conflict, that's not true. Um, the, the parties were on the precipice of a peace deal several times in the past, and there have been well-negotiated, thoughtful solutions on the table that, for one reason or another, have been intentionally sabotaged by certain people who are not in favor of peace and coexistence, but um, Bill Clinton helped no negotiate very close to a durable, mutually acceptable settlement. It was scuttled at the last minute. Um, in Oslo, the parties gathered and hammered out situations that got to the point of negotiation, negotiating which neighborhoods in Jerusalem would be under which nation's control. And those uh, proceedings were scuttled and sabotaged. Um, the Arab League put forward guidelines that would lead to a durable, mutually uh, exclusive, uh, mutually acceptable settlement. So all we really are lacking in this situation is the political will from the 
president of the United States, going back to Bill Clinton, who couldn't quite get the, the job done. And ever since then, where um, Barack Obama had the, the wherewithal to bring forward a settlement and he shied away from it. So this is stuff that, that, that can be done. This is a conflict that can be solved. And it is a recent, relatively recent conflict. It's not centuries old. It's not millennial uh, millennials old. It is, uh, it's something that can be settled. All that's lacking now is good faith from the parties. And the, the U.S. president has within his power or her power, if we have a female president, hopefully soon, to force Israel to the table and force Israel to negotiate in goodwill and good faith and, and settle this. The problem is that there are people who profit from conflict and we need to do everything we can to ostracize uh, these psychopathic influences and get them out of power before they you know, wreck the climate, irradiate all of us and perpetuate these needless wars. It can be done. Well, thank you for that, Mike. That's, you should uh, write that up. I mean, that's, that's very well stated. Thank you. Wendy, Omer, Carolina, and Salima. Wendy? Thank you. Um, I, I really appreciate the discussion on the pathway to peace because um, it's the only, the only way we're going to um, survive as a planet is we understand that. And, and thinking about lasting peace, like not only do we need an immediate ceasefire now to prevent a thousand, almost thousands of people a day, I mean, 500 people a day are being killed. We need a ceasefire now, but what would lasting peace look like that's equitable for everybody? You know, I, I think, um, like Mike just said, there's been harmony in the past where just because if Palestine is free from the river to the sea doesn't mean that other people aren't, you know, people can live together. Um, I, I shared with, with Harvey, something really crazy happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I was at a petitioning at the Miami book fair and I just happened to sit down on a bench for a quick little break. And this book was on, next to me and it was written in 2016. It's called world crisis and the pathway to peace. And it was written by Mirza, uh, Ms. Masroor Ahmad. And he's the leader of the Ahmadi Muslim community, which apparently is millions of people and they go around in grassroots efforts talking about how Islam basically means peace and the people that have taken over the power structure aren't practicing actual Islam, just like the Zionists aren't practicing actual Judaism, just like the extreme Christian right that like is attacking our rights here at home based on their own interpretation of God's will, calling it theirs. So we have these crazy zealots. And I see them as I'm, I'm petitioning for the reproductive rights. I mean, I got, I, I was told yesterday that I should be killed, that, you know, I, I'm a baby killer and that I should be killed. And these are like the common things that people will say based on their interpretations of their own religious beliefs. But this guy, he's talking about how without peace, there can never be just, or without justice, there can never be peace. Peace exists in place, places where you have justice. And even to show forgiveness in the face of Enmity, basically, if someone's doing you wrong, you know, you fight them until they come to the light and they see the light and then you forgive them and you move on and how the world needs some sort of spiritual practice or basic moral holding in order to accomplish these things where it's based on justice, equality, no envy, no greed, like trying to take the resources like this massive gas shale and the, the trade routes to get to it. 
um, and freedom of religion and to be able to practice religion, but not to um, compel anyone to do anything or not do anything and forgiveness. And so I think that's where the law and human rights law comes in um, to translate these common moral codes that we have as people that love each other on the day to day, but and have a spiritual understanding, but aren't using that in a weaponized way. So um, I don't know if I'm just kind of rambling here, but um, oh, no, but you're very good. Very well thank stated. You. Thank you so you know. much, Wendy. Very beautiful. Thank you for that. Uh, Omer, Carolina, Salima, and then I'm going to talk, and then we're pretty much out of time. Omer, go ahead, please, 90 seconds. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Uh, hi, y'all. Um, thank you for letting me talk. My name is uh, Omer Abed, and um, I, I wrote something up that Juan Cole, maybe you all know, he published it uh, this morning. I put it in the chat uh, article on, on Gaza, and uh, I mentioned how Biden... Um, uh, you know, of course, he's a war hawk, but uh, I mentioned how he has to get rid of the war hawks. And if you can please read, read my article. Okay, you're, you're breaking up on us. If you'll put your article in the chat, that would be great. It's a campaign to get uh, Brett. No. Um, Omar, we're going to do this again next week. If you If you come back next week and fix your audio, that'd be great. But we put your put your oh. article in the chat, please. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh Salima. Someone else was uh, uh Carolina was gonna speak. Selena, go ahead. Oh, Carolina, there you are. Uh go ahead, 90 seconds, and then Salima, please. Thank you. So you know, I I have always said that that the best thing for us to to work on is on solutions so that we can all progress and this is a very clear example of where we should be standing we as progressives cannot stand with fascism if if you are standing with a fascist organization which is the the israeli regime then then you need to really think about your position on this issue it is very important for us to recognize that we have a lot of domestic issues also. This, this goes beyond the, the peace talk. It goes on what, what is it that our government is doing with our tax dollars instead, instead of working for us, instead of standing for our values, instead of really representing the people that, that elected them. And right now, our, our government is really acting as a tyranny because they are not representing what, what the people have, have told them repeatedly that, that we want. The majority of people in the United States, regardless of party, support a resolution to this issue. And it's not just a resolution right now or a ceasefire for a few days, but we want actually that our government stops funding governments that are constantly abusing people. You know, the, the, the fact that, that, that the people in Gaza live in an apartheid, the fact that they have to go through checkpoints to be able to work, the fact that they have to go through lots of, of impediments like having running water, like having electricity, that like having access to fuel, uh, to access to medicines and, and good quality education. 
all of these are just forms of oppression that go on every single day and we keep funding that. So it's very important that, that we realize that this is beyond the war and it's actually what is it that our government is doing and who is actually representing uh, those those principles. And a lot of that is IPAC, it's the JVC and, and it's all of these groups that are pushing for interests that are not what the what the people in the United States want and not what we need, definitely. Okay. So Thank you very important. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, Salima, uh, then Mary, then we'll wrap up uh, and let Steve go. Go ahead, Salima. Uh Yes, uh, thank you for allowing, uh, giving me this opportunity to speak. Um, I just want to say that it's very important for people to um, kind of familiarize themselves with the region's history and with the different political movements and the different military factions um, that exist within um, occupied Palestine. Um, you know, and that includes uh, Gaza as well as the West Bank. And I know that like um, Hamas has been um, vilified and um, a lot of misinformation is out there. Um, and, uh, you know, it is regurgitated on our news waves. And, you know, it's easy to um, fall into the trap of like, you know, believing that or and it's if we go, if we like, you know, if we familiarize ourselves uh, with, you know, like, directly from the source if you can their their charter is available online for you to read they do not call for the annihilation of israel what they want is the end of end to the occupation of palestine and they want to be able to return back to the lands that they were expelled from um and that's all i want to say okay thank you very much mary and then we'll wrap up thank you steve for continuing we still have 47 people with us uh, mary and we'll do this again next week um, uh, uh, go ahead, Mary. Oh. Uh, Mary, we always have trouble with your audio. Ask on mute. There we go. There Can you go. hear me? Yep. Um, I'm, I just want to, this is a, a little off task, but I'm reaching out to my community, um, of a predicament that I bumped into. I, I fought at FCC Spokane Community College to get uh, accommodations for disabled people, special needs people like myself back in 1995 through 2000. I've returned back to college only to sit in a doorway and hear very special needs, meaning these people are uh, children in their heads. Special needs students saying, my teacher says she hates SEER students Seer students are evil. And these Seer students, I'm like hearing this conversation, and I'm confused, you know, and I've listened to it for about 30 minutes. And finally, I look up what Seer students are, and it's another group of disabled people on campus. And Mary, Mary that's absolutely, and, Mary, that's absolutely heartbreaking. Could you put together a proposal on that so we can do a deep dive on this topic? Because it's really a little bit out of place coming as a complete non sequitur at this point, and and we couldn't give it the attention it deserves. Yeah, Mary, we'll we'll have you back, and we can discuss that in a dedicated segment. It sounds like a very important issue, and and we will come to it if you want to make a proposal for next week. We'll give it some time. Okay. Okay. Uh, last one, uh, Faisal Khan. Thank you, Harvey. Uh, good evening, everybody. So I'm just going to be really quick. Uh, due to the very time constraints we have now in terms of the uh, 
the pause we have for another next 48 to 72 hours, I think what we really need is a direct uh, action, which means that whether in your state, at your congressional leaders and senators to send like 10, 15, 20 people uh, to you really sign a petition letter signed by your constituents and whoever that can be. And whether you're in D.C., I would like to see pack the Senate in the congressional building like we did a few years ago uh, when it came to um, uh, when you came to the Supreme Court nomination. So I don't think that's going to happen because you don't have enough time that requires a lot of mobilizing and organizing. Uh, because what is really important right now is to have a permanent ceasefire. And because as we know, we're reaching over 14,000 civilian deaths, over 8,000 children's deaths, and there are over probably 15,000 buried under the rubble who are most likely dead now. And as the winter is approaching, let's keep the weather in, in mind now, is that the weather is starting to get cold now. So it's going to become more problematic, and for, especially for younger population. And I think we're reaching holidays in about three weeks. Is everybody's going to be in this Christmas spirit. Nobody's going to really pay attention to what's going on. And it is really important, I think, that we go back to this direct impact action, which means really to come up with a proposal, whatever it is, and be very consistent uh, across across the board and reach out to our elected officials' office, whether you're in D.C. or whether respective state you're in, and just pack the office, as many people as you can, and really push for okay. permanent ceasefire. Thank you. So the question now becomes, how do what are we calling for? All the hostages have to come out. And, um, uh, you know, is this a question of leadership? Uh, Steve, will you put the, uh, as a farewell, will you put that uh, editorial back up from Haaretz? Um, okay. uh, the question is, uh, how much of this has to do with Israel-Palestine and how much does it have to do with uh, Netanyahu and Hamas? No, no, the other one. The one from Haaretz. The, the, the um, one uh, asking... Um, Netanyahu uh, about how much did he know and when did he know it? And the question is, how much does this war really have to do with leadership, with the leadership of Hamas, as as has been said? There you go. Um, there hasn't been an election in Gaza since 2006. And uh, we saw less than two years ago, hundreds of thousands of Israelis uh, marching in the streets to, to uh, replace Netanyahu. So the question is, how much of this is about him? How much is, is of this is about the death of Rabin and the death of the peace process? And 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 what can we do um, uh, to shift the dialogue from, you know, where this all came from 75 years ago as to what can be done now? There, there, there has to be a plan to uh, change the nature of democracy in both places. This is ultimately, as my, and this is my humble opinion, and I'm not maybe not so humble, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, this is all about a failure of democracy, both in Palestine and in Israel, and of uh, and of corrupt leadership in both places. And um, uh, you know, we can go into the history and all the other stuff, but the bottom line is that uh, leadership on both sides, uh, the taking of the hostages was unconscionable. The bombing is unconscionable. It's being done by individuals who are illegitimately in power, as far as I'm concerned. And and so we can scream and yell at Israel. We can scream and yell at Hamas. But the bottom line is that there has to be a change of leadership in both places where uh, a peace is possible. I, today's the first time I'd heard about the gas, actually. 
And um, I'm, I'm surprised not more attention has been given to that. But nonetheless, uh, we have to have a solution uh, that's short-term and that turns into long-term. And that means a change of, of the nature of government in both places. Um, uh, uh, the uh, the Israel, people of Israel did not want this. The people of Palestine did not want this. It was uh, 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 imposed on us by illegitimate leaders of both countries and both in both societies, as far as I'm concerned. And so if we reconvene on this issue next week, I'd like to hear more about that if possible. It's, uh, it's your forum. You can say whatever you want. That's what interests me. Um, um, uh, uh, and so, uh, Milo, I'll give you the last word. Thank you again, Steve, for sticking with us. Still have 44 people, for God's sakes. Uh, but go ahead, Milo, and welcome. Omar up. wants to get in, too. I don't know. Oh, oh, and that's it. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, uh, I'll be really quick because uh, I know my audio had a problem. I hope it's better now. I just hey, wanted to say that. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that you know, really good questions are being raised right now about you know lasting peace and all that. But I just really uh, uh, appeal and implore everyone that if we can first focus on getting the immediate and and permanent ceasefire because. 1,000 people are getting killed or injured every single day. And, you know, Israel okay. says that they killed uh, 60 uh, Hamas commanders, but, you know, uh, 20, if you include the people who are under the rubble, 20,000 civilians have, have right. died. But so, nothing's, nothing, there's not going to be peace until the hostages are out. And, then, and then once the hostages are out, I believe, Omar, I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead and finish. Go ahead. Oh, Omar, did you want to say more, please? Okay. Did you want to say more, Omar? Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I just wanted to say that, of course, uh, of course, all the hostages need to be out. But the, the critical thing is, though, uh, the, the hostages will get out if we can get uh, Israel, if we can push on Israel to uh, negotiate with with Hamas because there's there's like some ten thousand Palestinians in the prisons, including children and women who've been there longer than six weeks, like the Israeli hostages. They've been there for many years. Many have not even been charged. And the thing is that we can't hold the two point three million people hostage because it's worse than being a hostage because they're actually being starved. They're actually like, okay. uh, they have infections. I'm a physician, I'm an epidemiologist. And I know that a lot of those people who are injured, over 30,000 are injured. And because Israel destroyed the health system, a lot of those people will be unnecessarily killed, uh, will, will die of the infections and everything. Okay. So I think, yeah, thank you, thank you. Okay, you had 90 seconds and we, we understand the point. The question is, how do we get the leadership in both societies to make this peace? We know the statistics. We know uh, how, uh, that people are suffering on both sides. How do we get a leadership in both sides that can make a lasting peace? We, well, we, we just have, as Mike Hirsch pointed out, we've been so close so many times, and uh, you know, uh, uh, we had Rabin, who was on the point of make a brink of making peace for Israel. Uh, you know, the, the assassination of Rabin, in my mind, is every bit as impactful as the assassination of John Kennedy. And and it, it's very much analogous. And we know what happened after that, the Vietnam you, War. So, you know, Harvey, I just want to say about, about your question, I just want to say is that unfortunately, uh, because of the settlement, settlements, settlements, 
West okay. Bank, it, it, it looks like uh, Swiss cheese now. But uh, so unless that's reversed, that the only other but option... Can... All right, go, finish, please. The, the only other option is for all the people to live with equal rights in one state and the army can remain Jewish. So then the uh, 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 so then you know the Jewish population doesn't have to worry about the demographic issue. The army can remain Jewish. The 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 okay. ultimate control. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank thank you, you Omar. We, we we'll continue we, this. The bottom line, as Mike Hurst pointed out, we've been close to peace so many times. We need leadership on both sides that will make a reliable, lasting peace. And to, to my mind, the last tragedy and the, which fed directly into this war and which caused this war was the murder of Rabin, who would have who would have was on the brink of doing it. And God knows what's going to happen next. That, to my mind, and we can discuss this in a week, is where the solution has to come from. It has to be democracy in both societies. Okay, Myla, go ahead, please. We're going to have to end this that conversation now to be continued and to pick it up. Um, I, I, I'd like to say that um, the, uh, the majority report has had some amazing people on, uh, and one leader in particular who was talking about how we achieve peace, and I'm going to try to bring that person uh, on with us. But I wanted to circle back because I received a reply from NEIS about the um, the Zoom coming up on Thursday for um, to learn about the health effects of tritium. So I, I have put the, in the chat the link to register for the, the workshop on tritium. And if, uh, if you're listening and you can't read the chat, um, just send an email to neis at neis.org and um, and you can sign up for if you're interested in hearing from the experts about the health effects of tritium. Thank you. Thank you. And also uh, join us uh, Wednesday night, uh, five o'clock uh, Pacific time for the California Solar Topi show. We'd love to see you. We know this is uh, an ongoing uh, discussion. I'm sure many, many, many of you uh, want to speak. Omer, thank you for your uh, talk and, and so many more. We will continue this at the end of the uh, group call next week. Steve uh, Caruso and Mike Hirsch, um, uh, thank you so much for your being uh, by uh, the call of duty. Uh, we appreciate that. We're way over time. Uh, and Mike, uh, thank you especially for your brilliant comments. It was very, really very thought-provoking there. So, um, okay, let's say shalom, salam.